Welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Dave, and this week we are doing a deep dive into the world of films based on DC Comics. Uh, And you know what? Honestly, I say deep dive. That's not entirely accurate. We go deep into the history of these movies, but really, we we more discuss some of our favorite. We hit on every movie, uh, and me and Ryan Schweck, our head of research, discuss some of our favorites and kind of hit the highlights of each of the live action DC films. Which uh, it takes a, a decent amount of time for us to do, but there aren't as many live action DC movies as you might think. Like once you sit down and look at the list, especially. If you remove the 2013 to present DC Extended Universe stuff, uh, it's just not as broad a range of films as you might think it is. Uh, so we had a great time talking about these movies. Uh, if you want to sit down, share some, uh, or enjoy some memories, and probably uh, end up wanting to go back and revisit some of them yourself, you will enjoy this episode. We had a great time talking about them. Uh, but of course, before we get to that, it's time for some news. New York International Toy Fair 2020 is this weekend. Reveals are already happening, uh, as I record and certainly as you listen to this, but I'm not discussing any Toy Fair news until next week with our Toy Fair recap episode, except for one piece of information that I just can't make wait, and that is the leaked information about the G.I. Joe Classified Snake Eyes convention exclusive action figure. Uh, so, you know, I, I had not confirmed my belief in this G.I. Joe Classified as an action figure line previously because nothing had been officially announced. As of now, there still hasn't been anything. Well, actually, I take that back. It has been officially announced because if you are a Hasbro Pulse member, you received an email today uh, about a live stream that's going to be happening Saturday and if you're a premium member of Hasbro Pulse you will get early access to pre-orders for specific items including Star Wars Transformers Ghostbusters and G.I. Joe so technically that's an official announcement that G.I. Joe toys are coming. Now they didn't specify it could be some crappy like G.I. Joe plastic mask or something. But we all know that's not what it is because pictures of the 6-inch scale G.I. Joe classified snake eyes have leaked. They are out there. There's no denying it. And while there has not been an official announcement about this or what it is, you can you can find it. You can see it and it's gorgeous. Uh, what the pic- the pictures are of a full case of eight of this Snake Eyes action figure, 
and it has uh, the boxes inside. It's a large box with the retail packaging for this Snake Eyes figure as well as extra accessories that make it a convention exclusive. Uh, And that includes a weapons rack with this really wild, intricate uh, Japanese art on it. And then on the back side, or I guess that is the back side, the the front side is the weapons rack, and it comes with a couple of size, uh, two different swords, uh, a bladed... Uh, battle staff uh, weapons that I don't know the names of it's a little disappointing that these aren't painted I find that odd especially for a special release like this Uh, but still this is a very cool set I 100% want it I hope that it's one of the items that goes up for pre-order I hope that it is a Toy Fair convention exclusive or, or a Toy Fair fan channel exclusive maybe more accurately and that we don't have to wait for San Diego Comic-Con for this thing to ship. Uh, but the Snake Eyes figure itself is just exactly what I wanted. Uh, surprisingly, it looks like it's the larger scale of the Marvel Legends and not the Star Wars Black Series scale, which I'll admit is a little disappointing to me. I I prefer the Star Wars Black Series scale myself, and I know it's weird to want a smaller figure for the same amount of money, but I, I don't know why that version of six inches, uh, whatever the scale may be, is, is somewhat more appealing to me. Uh, but it's also kind of cool that they'll be able to stand beside the Marvel Legends. And uh, I don't know. I just. I'm so excited. I'm so blown away by what this figure looks like. It is very much a version 2 Snake Eyes. Uh, He's got the um, Arashikage. I don't think I've ever pronounced that right on a recording. Uh, Symbol on his belt buckle. He's got the grenades across his chest and the bandolier. He's got the sword uh, sheath on his back. Uh, He's got his pistol. He's got a knife. He's got all kinds of accessories. He's got his Uzi. Uh, the the nice silver uh, eye shield thing just he looks incredible. Uh, the top part is is like super tight shirt. The bottom part is pants, uh, like with with folds and stuff. Uh, it just it's perfect. It's perfect. If I had had a dream about what a six inch scale uh, snake eyes would look like this is what it would have looked like it's it's perfection and i can't wait to get this thing in my hands i can't wait until tomorrow to find out all the details about how we're going to get it and i hope that hasbro's website is ready for what's going to happen to it when all this stuff goes live because it's not just going to be snake eyes you're gonna have ghostbusters uh the the huge return of ghostbusters to the toy aisle with a company that has less issues with quality control and distribution than other companies who have had the Ghostbusters license. So this is huge. I'm excited. It's happening. GI Joe classified 100% confirmed. uh, And it's great. And more Toy Fair news next week uh, on the Needless Things podcast. And obviously other things have already been announced at this point. Uh, there's stuff that I'd love to tell you about right now, but you're going to have to wait until next Friday. Uh, the next piece of news that is almost more exciting 
no, nothing's more exciting than than new GI Joe toys. Uh, but very, very, very exciting. A huge tour was announced. Faith No More and Corn are co-headlining, and uh, they're being supported by Scars on Broadway and Helmet. Uh, half the tour is Helmet, half the tour is Scars on Broadway. Scars on Broadway will be here in Atlanta on August 25th at the Ameris Bank Amphitheater. I had bought my ticket today. I got a really good seat. I didn't get the best seat, but I got a really good seat because I was like, you know what? I might not ever see Faith No More again. I've never seen Corn. I had the opportunity to see them, um, but it was a co-headlining bill with Rob Zombie, and if you're a Rob Zombie fan... Rob Zombie puts on the best rock and roll show you'll ever see. That's just a fact. And I, me and the buddy I was with at that tour watched Rob Zombie and were like, you know what, Corn's great, but they can't follow that. I don't want to sit here. As much as I like Corn, they're a little more dour, they're a little, more, a little less fun. And I just didn't want to sit through corn after the incredible showmanship and fun and bombast of that Rob Zombie show. So, uh, but this is a whole different thing. Faith No More and Corn are very tonally much more similar. And when I met Faith No More years and years ago, uh, this would have been '97, maybe uh, the one, or I'm sorry, not met Faith No More, met Corn uh, years and years ago. Uh, the one question that I asked one of them, I don't remember even who it was. It was monkey or head or one of those goofy name motherfuckers. But, uh, I asked them if Faith no more was as much of an influence on their music as I thought they were. And they said 100% absolutely, uh, that they, they were a huge influence and that they didn't get nearly the credit they deserved for changing the face of music at the time that they did. And I thought that was a really cool answer. And the fact that I'm going to see those two bands, uh, you know, Faith No More is my favorite band in the world, and Korn, uh, well, I don't love them as much as I did kind of in the heat of their popularity. I still listen to them when they come on. I dig it. I like their sound. I think they're very, uh, as much as the whole new metal thing kind of got out of hand, I still think they're an original engaging act and I've never seen him live. So I'm, I'm excited. That's a great double book, double bill, I think. And I'm also excited to see scars on Broadway. Uh, I I've not seen them and helmet. I I've seen quite a few times, so I'm okay with the fact that we're getting the scars on Broadway half of the tour, but you can go now and, uh, check out all the tour dates, see where it's coming near you. And I highly, highly recommend if you're a fan of live music, uh, you go, you make it out to this show because it, it has the potential to be one of the greatest bills uh, of all time, in my opinion. Uh, so there's that. Another thing that I've got to put over that's going on here in Atlanta, the Geek Garage Sale is happening at the Marriott Century Center on March 1st. That is a Sunday. And I will be there with all kinds of stuff from the Phantom Zone. Uh, collectibles and music and movies all in good shape because I take care of my stuff. All priced to move. I have bins. I'm probably not going to be able to bring everything that I'd like to get rid of down there. I'm not going to have space in the car, but I have bins and bins and bins of stuff that's in really good shape that I don't have room for and that I really just need to move. 
Uh, so for me, it's more about getting this stuff out of the Phantom Zone than it is about making money. Uh, but I'm excited to go down there and see the whole thing is sold out now. Like every table, every dealer table is taken. Uh, you can find the, if you go to Facebook and look up Atlanta Geek Garage Sale, you'll find the event page for it. Or if you go to the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group, I'll have a pinned post there or an announcement, I guess they're called now. Uh, but please come out, say hi to me, and spend some money on cool geeky stuff. From what I understand, there's going to be a lot of cosplay stuff there. Uh, it, it's, it is what it says it is. It's a geek garage sale. It's going to be lots of people with toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. It might as well be the Needless Things garage sale. Uh, so there you go. It's going to be great. Uh, and, and just get on Facebook, find the event for that, and turn out to the Marriott Century Center, which is one of my favorite places for like smaller scale geek gatherings i really really dig that place the location is great the setup is great uh it it tends to be a bit cramped but there's something about the the setup there that i've really have always liked uh and and you know most conventions tend to outgrow it eventually and it's where toylanta used to be uh it's where oh i think they even had uh timegate there at one point I'm, yeah yeah i think timegate was there as well so conventions outgrow it but it, to me it's like a very homey space uh so check that out and finally the last piece of news that i have for you before we get to our discussion of live action dc films is sonic the hedgehog is in theaters now and if you have kids you should 100 percent go see it uh, if you're a Sonic fan, you should 100% go see it. And if you're on the fence about it and you're like, I don't know, it's it seems like it, uh, kind of annoying and stupid. No, it's a fun movie. Like, it's legit a good, fun movie. We had a blast watching it. The theater was a lot of fun. People were cracking up. It, it's really... I, I'm not a fan of Sonic the Hedgehog. I never liked the games. I never liked the character. Um, and I expected to have to endure this movie my son wanted to go and see it so of course i'm going to go because i'm a good dad i'm not that shithead that says no we're not going to go see sonic you're going to sit down and watch uh back to the future for the hundredth time instead uh i'm going to take him to go see sonic so we went the first five minutes i was still resisting liking it but it's so much fun you guys uh james marsden is charming the all the human cast are are very charming they're there they're they're doing what they're there to do which is be your your human uh touchstones for this wacky story but jim carrey if you've missed jim carrey if you've missed ace ventura and the mask and uh his his outrageous like 90s characters he's back in full effect but he is more skilled than he has ever been it was just this movie was delightful i am excited to see it again and look if you had told me even a week ago or even two weeks ago i guess that i would enjoy a sonic the hedgehog movie especially that sonic the hedgehog movie as much as i did i would have laughed so hard i probably would have peed my pants uh it's it's fun you guys it's a lot of fun and i recommend it. it gets a thumbs up from me it gets a recommendation from me go go check it out so uh, that is your news for the week. Next week will be nothing but news. All toy news. All right, Phantomaniacs, it is now time. It's time to take a look 
at Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and Swamp Thing and uh, some of the weirder heroes of the DC Universe and some of the biggest heroes of the DC Universe. And we're going to discuss, if they've ever gotten it right, we're going to discuss our favorites. We're going to discuss uh, how really how necessary it is for them to get certain aspects right. Is it okay if something messes with the mythology if we end up with a good entertaining movie? Uh, we're going to talk about all that and more, so sit back, relax, grab yourself a bat soda, and enjoy me and our head of research, Ryan Schweck, talking about DC on film. All right, it's time to play catch up. We were going to do this episode uh, last last week. Is last week when Birds of Prey came out? Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago when Birds of Prey came out, uh, and the timing just didn't work out for it. That's right, because that's when I did the Q and A. And I wanted to sit down with our head of research, our esteemed keeper of knowledge, particularly about all things DC. And just talk about all the DC movies that have been made. And the timing is actually really good now. Because one, Birds of Prey just came out. We've both seen it. We can talk about that a little bit. Uh, We're going to talk about the history of DC movies. And also, we just got our first look at Matt Reeves' The Batman costume. Complete Uh with Robert Pattinson and his incredible jaw that we actually see all of. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't think about that. You do see all of it for right. once. He doesn't have weird little mushy face. Huh. I really, I, I, okay, here was my reaction when, because uh, our, our other Ryan, Ryan Cadaver, shot me the video uh, Friday, or no, last Thursday, right before I recorded last week's episode. And uh, at first I hated it. I was like, oh, great, it's more armor plating uh, can even move and then he moves a little bit and you're like oh he can move and you see the way that the armor is sort of laid down it looks very flexible and then it hit me that it basically looks like one of the Arkham suits from the yep. video games and at that point I was like oh I think I like this let me take a closer look and the bat symbol is this cool now I think you told me a theory about that. Um, the bat symbol is this cool, like functional looking, like it looks like potentially it could be batarangs or something, but then there's an alternate. What's the alternate theory? There's a couple. I mean, there's the theory that, yeah, he can take it out and either throw it or bludgeon people with it. Um, some people have thought that it possibly could be like in uh, Dark Knight, the comic. Um, I can't remember which one it was, but that he melted down. Um, what was it? Was it the gun or the something? The gun that killed his parents and made yeah. it a piece of armor. Yeah, I don't remember what that was from. It's from one of the Dark Knight comics. Okay. Um, but yeah, that it also may be that. But yeah, it's definitely a very Arkham game kind of looking suit. And I like that the cowl and the cape are actually separate pieces. Mm-hmm. Um it makes more sense 
than it all yeah. being one thing. So he'll be able to turn his head. I like the collar on the cape. I think that actually looks cool. Yeah, I do too. And, you know, it's not the first time we've seen the collar on the cape. You know, obviously Gotham by Gaslight right. has had it. Right. Uh, Damian Wayne has it in that Batman I guess it was first in that Batman 666 issue. Oh, yeah, where he's the Batman in the future, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, Damian Wayne's costume has that. Yeah, I mean, I think it looks good. I don't, you know, Robert Pattinson, uh, people are freaking out about it, but I I don't have a problem with it. No, I'm fine with it. I mean, I don't, look, I've never seen the guy in anything. I haven't seen The Lighthouse yet. I'm not a big indie film guy, and I certainly didn't see the Twilight movies, but... You know, as as we learned with Heath Ledger, as we've learned so many times with other actors, actors are actors. It's called acting. Yeah. Well, and one thing I'll say, and well, I think this is one of the things I want to talk about tonight. And as we go through the movies, I think we'll get it. I think part of where Batman has been missed in some of the movies is you've got to have a certain charisma, just naturally, to pull off Batman. And I would argue that while um, Michael Keaton definitely had it, and I think that honestly George Clooney had it. That Christian Bale didn't, and that's why that Batman comes off as very wooden and not really a good character, in my opinion. I I agree with that, and I I think that Ben Affleck had it. He had a different. It was it was a different rawness. Mm-hmm. He, he was like an exposed nerve, but I really liked his Batman as well. But the thing is, like Joker, Batman can be lots of different things um, and sort of stiff, unsympathetic white guy is the thing that Christian Bale brought to it. Uh, yeah. Um, we'll get into those. Friends. Yes, we will absolutely get into those because we are just going to sit here and talk about DC movies. Uh, we're going to save a little Birds of Prey sort of mini-review segment for the end because that's the most recent of the DC movies. Uh, but what I'm going to do now is we're, we're not going to discuss any of the serials or the animated films because the animated films are a podcast unto themselves. And actually, at this point, I'm trying to remember if at some point we did one. I feel like years ago we may have done at least a few of the animated films, but... I think there's a Mask of the Phantasm, maybe. Uh, yeah, the, we we uh, we didn't y'all watch a, that or something. No, we haven't done a commentary on it yet, but it's one that it's on the list. Uh, but anyway, we're not discussing the animated films. All we're talking about are the live action films based on DC movies. And what I'm going to do right now, just as a refresher for us and for the listeners, is run down the list, which is not as long as you might think it would be. So here we go. Uh, again, not including the serials. Technically, the first theatrical release was a film, or I guess a short, called Stamp Day for Superman, <laughs> which was uh, an 18-minute short film produced by the government uh, for the United States Department of the Treasury. Uh, haven't seen it? I think it? that would make an excellent Needless Things commentary. <laughs> I think you're right. I absolutely think you're right. So uh, the first the first real film that we'll we'll talk about tonight uh in 1966 obviously Batman, one of the most famous of them all, uh recognized around the world by all generations. We all know it. 1978, 12 years. Think about that. 12 years passed between DC movies and then we got Superman. You will believe a man can fly. 
uh, and things are pretty super for the next several years. 1980, Superman 2. 1982, Swamp Thing, uh, which you can hear a little more about on uh, episode 75 of the Needless Things podcast. Uh, 1983 brought you Superman 3. 1984, Supergirl. 1987, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. 1989, now I know what you think I'm getting ready to say, but what I'm actually getting ready to say is Return of Swamp Thing. Oh. Starring Heather Locklear. Uh, but the the obviously the key movie of 1989 was Tim Burton's Batman. It was the first Warner Brothers production of a DC property. And uh, you can hear more about that on Needless Things 274, Summer of the Bat. Uh, 1992 was Batman Returns. 1995, Batman Forever. 1997, Batman and Robin. But also in 1997, let us not forget Shaquille O'Neal as Steel. Lord, that movie. Okay, now, here's one that's controversial. 2004, do you know what came out in 2004? Uh, Is that when Constantine came out or Catwoman? That would be Catwoman. Yeah. I am not counting Catwoman because it really has nothing to do with Catwoman in any way. Well, interesting, though. Do you know how they got to Catwoman? I don't. I've never even seen the movie. Oh, it's bad. (laughs) The Catwoman script, crazily enough, comes from elements partially taken from Tim Burton's treatment of Batman 3. And it got kind of like passed around and bastardized and bastardized until it became Catwoman. Wow. There are straight up ideas in there from Tim Burton's next Batman movie. Holy shit. Well, that's terrible. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Uh, 2005, you you nailed this one, Constantine, uh, which is only slightly more uh, an adaptation than Catwoman. But we'll we'll get to discussing that one. Uh, and then what's interesting here, also in 2005, only eight years removed from Batman and Robin. And that's less time than it took to get from Iron Man to Infinity War. It's the same amount of time that passed between Batman and Batman and Robin. And that is Batman Begins. Uh, 2006, Superman Returns. 2008, The Dark Knight. 2009, Watchmen. 2010, Jonah Hex. Uh, 2011, Green Lantern, which I'm sure we've got some things to say about. 2012, The Dark Knight Rises. 2013 was Man of Steel, which was sort of stated to be the first film of the DC Extended Universe. Uh, And we'll talk more about that. That's the train leaving the station. (laughs) The wreck's down the line. Uh, 2016, uh, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, which you can hear more about on Needless Things 102. Uh, 2016 also brought us Suicide Squad. 2017, uh, Wonder Woman came out early in the year. Uh, You can hear about that on Needless Things 164. And also, later on that year, Justice League, uh, which we uh, discussed on Needless Things 188. And then the next year, in 2018, Aquaman, 
which we reviewed on Needless Things 245. Uh, 2019 brought us Shazam and Joker, which was the first post-Man of Steel film uh, that was not part of this attempt at a connected universe. And then finally, uh, in 2020, the most recent release, uh, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. And coming up, we have Wonder Woman 1984, The Batman, and The Suicide Squad. Uh, did we get Beeper Vendetta in there? Did I miss it? Oh, yeah, you know what? I totally overlooked that one. What year was that? That was like 2010, maybe? No, I think that's Old five or that? six. Holy shit. Yeah, that movie's old. Yeah, I think so. with our DC movies, they did The Losers. I mean, they call it The Losers. It really wasn't. Uh, but... Yeah, yeah, and that was I skipped over that one because it really wasn't much of an adaptation. There, there were not. some that were sort of so far afield that I really didn't count them. Catwoman, I mentioned just because any opportunity to shit on that movie, I think we should take. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the campaign where people were? What were they doing? They were like sending something to the director or to Holly Berry in protest. Oh, I don't even remember. Were they buying copies of the DVD and then like <laughs> sending it to him or something? Oh, there was some crazy God. protest against that movie. I do remember, wasn't she one of the first ones that showed up to the Razzies to get her award for it? Oh, was and, like, she? Good for her if she was. Yeah. God, that movie is terrible. Oh, it's so bad. I just can't bring myself to watch it. I think I've watched the first like five or ten minutes and was just like, why? I don't need to do this to myself. Um, so let's go all the way back to the beginning, and we'll, we'll probably jump around quite a bit. Uh as a matter of fact, we might even discuss it in chunks like Batman or Superman. Mm-hmm. But uh, we got to go back to Batman 1966, one of the most beloved iterations of, of any character and certainly one of the most popular Batman interpretations, despite its campiness and inherent silliness, or, or maybe because of. Uh, I think it's it's easier to get into. They mention his parents being murdered once in like the first episode and it never comes up again and and it's just conversational too it's not like a flashback or anything I, I appreciate that about Batman 66 is you know they just never really bring up how strange the whole situation is like you come into it and it's just happening like yep police chief Tully just has this red phone that calls these dude and his ward and they show up and fight crime with us good enough like well and the premise is even acknowledged within the the show and the movie of the police being completely incompetent yep. oh no it's a riddle with a balloon attached clearly we are not equipped to deal with this better call batman <laughs> <laughs> It's so good. Uh, it's fantastic. And the movie itself, which is obviously what we're discussing, is the ultimate like team-up crossover because we'd seen, you know, throughout the, the television series, you see all these villains in their separate episodes, but in this movie, they're all together. Riddler, Catwoman, Joker, uh, Penguin. Who am I forgetting? Is that it? It's just the main four, right? Yeah, I don't freeze isn't in it. No, it's it's just those the the top tier villains. Yeah, all gang up, Sinister Six style, uh, to carry out a, a ludicrous, diabolical plan. 
And of course, this is where we see the some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> and the uh, the anti-shark bat repellent or bat anti-shark repellent or whatever. Yeah. What I always loved about Batman 66 and I never understood, you know, people were always like, oh, well, it's too schlocky and oh, it's campy. Like, yeah, they know that's the point. It's not like they were filming Batman running with a bomb on his head and being like, this is legit action. Right, right, right. That's the point of it. I went went through the phase where I said I didn't like it or I was like I this isn't this isn't Batman Batman's dark like I I went through that stupid phase yeah and uh then came back around I mean you read Batman in the 60s like oh it's insane Batman's running around in a pink suit and all sorts of crazy stuff like you know it's it's a little more accurate than people want to give it credit for um it's an amazingly shot movie just the angles they do and kind of some of the action scenes for the time are really good. Um, it's endlessly entertaining. Yeah, the pacing is incredible. I mean, it, it moves right along. Um, and it's if, if you pick up uh, the recent Blu-ray, well, not recent anymore, but there's a Blu-ray release uh, that came out that's just gorgeous. I mean, it, it's a beautiful film, bright and vibrant. Uh, everybody in it is very clearly having fun. Nobody's phoning it in. They're all giving it a thousand percent. Uh, you get the bat boat, which is oh, awesome. Yeah. I don't know that we ever saw it again. I don't believe so. You get Commodore Schmidlap. <laughs> I forgot. <that. laughs> it's 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 great. It's fantastic. You could this is one of those movies that you could literally put in any time, and it's great. <sighs> I don't need to be in any certain mood to watch this. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, I mean, that Batman series always holds a special place in my heart because that was my daycare when I was little. We watched it every day back when the Superstation TBS was playing it every day at like 3.30 or 4 o'clock. And so I watched the show every day. Yeah. And that was that was me as well. My, I mean, my first toys were Migos. And to me, the Batman and Robin Migos, well, and Joker and Riddler, and Riddler, and all of them. I mean, th- those—that was what they were. Oh. They—they weren't. You know, I didn't know anything about comics when I was like four or five, six years old. I just knew that TV show, and that's what those figures represented to me. Uh-huh. Uh So moving along. Well, uh, first of all, we'll each thing we talk about. Uh, will what do you want to give it? Like a recommended or not? Oh, sure. So, uh, obviously, this one, 100% recommended. Oh, highly. Uh, So, now we move on. 12 years later, uh, a much different kind of cinematic experience, and that is Superman, starring Christopher Reeve, directed by Richard Donner, uh, and one that I know I saw in the theater because my mom took me to see everything, like, even at one-year-old... they, well, I was I was in well I would have been two here, uh, but they, like they brought me in to see Star Wars because apparently I was a very quiet baby, uh, and, <laughs> or, or they were terrible theater patrons. But uh, you know, obviously, I don't remember seeing this in the theater. But it is one of my earliest because to me, Batman was something a little bit different. Superman was the first superhero movie. 
uh-huh. where they were placing it basically in the real world. And it yeah. wasn't some fantastical thing or like a, a different wild, you know, different world from ours. It, it was the real world, but this superhero happened. Uh-huh. Do you remember, like, what are your earliest memories of this movie? Oh, I mean, my earliest memories are having the poster of Superman flying in space. I think everybody had it, but that was on my wall in all my earliest memories. I mean, surely my parents must have put it there because I was too young. Sure. But, like, yeah, that was always around. I don't... I mean, I was born after Superman the movie came out. The first one I remember seeing in the theater was Quest for Peace. I specifically remember seeing Superman 3 in the theater because I will never forget the terror of the lady getting turned into a robot. Oh, yeah. That's scary as shit. And I remember being in the theater, and I think my dad actually took me to see that one. Mm -hmm. Um because he was a big Richard Pryor fan. And I think that's how, cause he, well, actually that year, uh, cause he took me to see return of the Jedi also, uh, that same year. So I, maybe that was just dad's year for movies, but, uh, yeah, I, that Superman three was the first one I remember seeing in the theater. And I'm honestly not sure if I even saw Superman four in the theater. Ooh, I did. <laughs> now, I, let me ask you this. We all know, and, and we skipped over Superman 2. We'll go back to it. But we all know Superman 4 is horrendous. It's worth watching just for Christopher Reeve because he's still giving it his all. But it's it's bad. You know, I have such a soft spot in my heart for that movie, though. Right. Like, I still watch it. Like, it's is it great? No. Do I hate that little kid that says, Superman, why don't you get rid of all the nuclear missiles? (laughs) Yes, he's awful. I love John Cryer in that movie. I think he's hilarious. Um, Now, you were... Were you born in 1980? 79. Oh, 79. 79. Okay, so you were eight. Mm Mm-hmm. So this hit you in, in kind of a sweet spot for me. I was 11, and I was just starting to be able to tell when things maybe weren't great. Uh-huh. Cause like when you're, when you're, I think nine, 10 or nine and under everything's kind of just awesome. Well, especially I've been watching Superman three, which it's Superman three. It's fine. It's, it's fun. Seeing that one for me has that sort of nostalgic place where I uh, recognize how bad it is, but I also kind of love it. But for me, and I guess as a kid, you know, Nuclear Man was all sorts of awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, look at this dude. He has, like, scary nuclear fingernails. And the and, the electricity around his eyes. Yeah, the guy, I thought he kicked ass. Now, you know, the being depowered outside of the sun was a little lame. But <laughs> for me, that was Superman fighting another super being, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah, which was something new. In a way that money laundering was not, <laughs> and supercomputer. So, oh yeah, go ahead. You no, know, I I loved Superman four. Um, 
looking back, I recognize it is not the best film in the world. But, you know, you got Gene Hackman back acting as Luther, and I think he's the best Luther we've gotten. Um, and John Cryer, I love John Cryer. And if you have not watched him as Lex Luther on the CW shows, you need to check it out. Uh, you know, I doubted it. He is such a good Lex Luthor. Yeah, it's he's... I've only seen him on Crisis, but I was really blown away because I was not expecting to like him as Luthor. Yeah. Um. So that does bring us back to Superman 2, which when I say in Quest for Peace, him fighting a superpowered being was, was new, obviously it wasn't. But him fighting a non-Kryptonian, which I guess a clone of himself technically sort of is still a Kryptonian. Right. But it was a being with different powers and, like, a different kind of menace. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Superman 2, he fights Zod, Feora, and... Oh, shit. Uh, Ur, and that's Ur, Ur. Yeah. Yeah. Ur, Ur. Uh, and what's funny is for years of my life, Superman and Superman 2 were kind of mushed together in my head. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think for a lot of people they are. They, they just... I didn't totally distinguish which one was which, you know, until later on when I, you know, I bought them or whatever when I became a film collector and started just buying stuff uh, and revisited them and realized that, that Superman 1... Superman 1, what am I... Red Ranger, um, <laughs> that the first Superman, that Luthor was the villain, and that was it. Yeah, I think when most people, if you ask them what the Superman movie is about, they say Superman 2. Yeah. They don't remember the land. The real you, estate scheme. The real estate scheme. <laughs> and then what they'll say is, yeah, you know, somebody rewound the planet, which right. happens a couple of times. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's the, it's, it's both of them, really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but... Superman 1 is, it's good. When you watch it now, honestly, parts of it are kind of boring. Um, I like the extended cut that has him going through all the traps to get to Luthor's headquarters. Mm-hmm. That, to me, even though it's longer and it doesn't actually make sense that a longer version is less dull, the stuff that they put in, to me, fleshes the movie out to make it all more interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Superman 1 introduced the John Williams score. Oh, which, yeah. For me, honestly, is a. I think that that score is better than Star Wars. Oh, like, wow. There's. I walk around whistling that score all the time. Um, I just think that is such a powerful, like, theme song, and nobody has matched it. Well, the. The Superman theme is character-specific, and it's meant to evoke a, a very unique feeling of of hope and majesty and um, action, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it's linked to a very... Uh, tight set of of emotional responses, I guess. Whereas Star Wars is more, this is exciting because it's Star Wars, but it's not it's not as focused uh, a nerd chill effect. 
Mm-hmm. It's great, and you're excited when you hear it, but Superman, it, it goes into a different part of your brain, I think. Yep. And uh, no matter uh, when I hear it, yeah, it totally... I mean, even when the CW kind of sneaks in and gets it in there, it's exciting every single time. Yeah, and well, like, and when, when they used it in Justice League. Yep. Uh, that was just fantastic, and it and it gave you, it gave you hope. Like, mm-hmm. man, I like this Henry Cavill guy, and look, we're throwing the Superman theme on him. Maybe we're gonna like it's gonna be, and he was, he was the best Superman he had been in Justice League. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I would love to see him get the opportunity to be that Superman more, but I, I don't know that I think yeah. that's gonna happen. I don't think it is. Um, now, do you think is Superman two the best of the films? Um, okay, so yes. However, none of those films are one hundred percent great movies. They yeah. all they all have their flaws. Um, I will never like Superman giving up his powers. Ever, yeah. Uh, I I I will always dislike that just as much as I dislike Christian Bale just quitting being Batman. Oh yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it does give us Super Drunk Man, which I loved. Yeah, <laughs> but then at the end, when he goes back to get revenge on that trucker, that's also incredibly not Superman-y. Yeah, and it does give us the Lois weirdo. Poem. Oh gosh! Well, no, that's uh, that's in the first one. Is that the first one? That yeah, is the first it's, one. It's, See, I skin them together too. Right, right. It's hard not to do, and I mean, they were filmed very close together. Um, yeah, I've read initially she was supposed to sing that. Oh my gosh! <laughs> How much I, you worse know what? what it would have been. Yeah. Well, why not? Why not? Just sing part of your world, or not part <laughs> of your world. Um, what's the Aladdin one? Oh yeah. Uh, a whole new world. Yeah, a whole new world. Oh, Which, yeah. by the way, just not not related to this conversation at all. If you have not watched the live action Aladdin, I highly recommend it. Oh my god, I was so surprised by that movie. It's great. It's Isn't so it good. <laughs> okay, okay, back to Superman. So, yes, I do think Superman two is the best, but I don't think any of them are. I I think I love them because of nostalgia, not because of how good they are. Uh, yeah, I think it's nostalgia, and I mean Christopher Reeves is such a good Superman. Yes, uh, and not just that, but he's also a really good Clark Kent. Yes, he got them both right, and I don't think any of the other actors have gotten them both so right. Um, with Superman being that approachable, friendly, what Superman is supposed to be, and I don't know if anybody else has pulled that off. Brenner Ralph came pretty close. Um, But he was doing an impersonation of Christopher Reeve. It was just a really, really good one. (laughs) That's true. Um, But yeah, he's just such a good Superman. Well, he's the best superhero casting ever. Yeah. I mean, DC, Marvel, anything. Yeah. And, you know, all the casting in those movies is amazing. I think, you know, Margot Kidder is an amazing Lois Lane. Yes. They do really good at getting her kind of arrogance and her dismissiveness of Clark and all that kind of stuff exactly right. I don't know that I think – okay, 
I love the character Gene Hackman is playing, but I don't really think he's a good Lex Luthor. I, you know, I guess it depends on which Luther. Luther's one well, of those characters that yeah, just yeah. has gone through so many, you know, businessman, scientist. Um, but yeah, he's yeah. I don't think he nailed it a hundred percent. I think he does a really good job. He's great. He's awesome. But he's not necessarily what I would think of as Lex. Uh, maybe yeah. he he's a guy who might steal cakes though. I think yeah, forty one cakes. Um, <laughs> I think they missed the xenophobia with him. Yeah, they didn't go for that at all with that one. Although, was that even present in the comics at that point? You know, I don't remember. I feel like that came in later on. Um, Oh, shit. What was... Was it the John Byrne one? The Man of Steel reboot after Crisis? I want to say something like that is where Luthor hating Superman because he's an alien got introduced. No. Which has become... I have to look it up, yeah. Yeah, and it's become standard, and it totally makes sense. We should have had our pal Michael Bailey on this episode as well. He would be able to tell us all of these things. But then we we would, with three people, we would never make it through uh, even half of these movies. Um, The Superman fails, I appreciate that they just randomly throw out superpowers, like... (laughs) The chest shield. Yeah, the chest shield, turning back time. There was some weird telepathy going on in one of those movies. But again, it's very Silver Age. Yeah, it really is. All they needed was the best Superman power, where he shoots tiny Superman out of his fingers. Oh my gosh, I I just need one movie to do that. It needs to happen. Uh, So, looking at the four uh, original Christopher Reeve Superman films, uh, Superman 1, for me, I say recommended. Oh, yeah. Uh, 2, 100% recommended. Mm -hmm. I think think that is one of the movies on this list that you could sit just about anybody down to watch, and they would get into it, enjoy it, and, and find it compelling. Uh, Superman 3, I'm also going to give recommended. Again, maybe my nostalgia glasses are kind of casting the vote on that one, but Richard Pryor's so much fun in it. Um, You know, Superman... I'd be curious to show my kids Superman 3, because I don't think they've seen that one, and just see what they think about it. I'm not sure they would like it. I like... I like that we get... The, I can't remember his name, the main bad guy in it, uh, that he's he's almost the super scientist Lex Luthor. Uh-huh. Like, he's almost the different version of that. Uh, uh, and then... Uh, Ross Webster, that is his name. Okay, yeah, I that's hmm, not the best. No. Uh, but I, I give that one a recommended, because it's not... It's not great, but it's not all out terrible, and there's a lot of fun to be had. And and it's Superman like fighting the supercomputer that, if you can place yourself in the era, was a very real like threat of the times. Yeah, and come on, they should have just called the damn thing Brainiac. Yeah, they should have. But then people would have been mad that it wasn't actually an alien. That's true. Although it would have been cool. You know what? They should do a remake of Superman three. But it turns out, like, the way this guy was able to build the supercomputer is he was influenced by the actual alien Brainiac. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. 
And then at the end, his skin just falls off and he's Brainiac. I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, and then Superman 4, uh, that one, I, I, can't, I can't recommend it. Oh, I'm totally going to recommend it. <laughs> it's great. It's so cheesy and awesome oh, and just bad. Uh, he okay. stomps When he stomps his head on the moon, it's one of my favorite oh, things that's ever gosh. happened in a Superman. He steps down on it. It's great. Uh, it's the, the best. Okay. My favorite moon scene in Superman movies is when uh, Zod and Feora and Ur attack the astronaut. And the flag very clearly has a bar in the top of it to keep it out straight. Like, like the whole scene, it's very clear that there's gravity, like the way that the sand moves and everything. It's just so, like, not the moon at all, but it's the limitations of what they had to work with at the time. But you, can, if you look at the American flag in Superman 2, there's, there is clearly a bar at the top to hold it out so it looks like there's no gravity it's fine oh and they steal the patches there's so many yes. little things in superman 2 yes. that they do that i really like they're such those kryptonians are such dicks uh it's great uh so in over the course of these superman movies coming out there are two other movies that we've got to talk about uh well, real quick cuz i don't think it'll take a whole lot of time 1984 we had supergirl starring helen slater who is absolutely adorable in that movie, and she fights a witch. God, that movie's awful. It's bad. Oh, it's awful. It was the back when I subscribed to the DC Universe streaming service, this was the first movie I watched. And because I hadn't seen it, again, this is another one that I remember seeing in the theater. This one I did see with my mom. Uh, and I remember liking some things about it. I really liked, um, what's it called? The city where she's from, uh, at the beginning of the movie. Oh, uh, what do they do in the movie? It's not Candor. Is it Candor? I can't remember where they put her from. Uh, but anyway, it's this big, beautiful science fiction city. Very like Logan's run. I remember thinking that was really cool. Um, and then the fight at the end, when I was a kid, because I was, let's see, six, I was eight years old when I saw this. When I was a kid, I thought the big fight scene at the end was really cool. Turns out it's not. Uh, but it just, it's, this one I could recommend purely as a curiosity because you need to see what comic book movies looked like in 1984, (laughs) but it's, it's not good. Well, and you know, it's it, this is the first um, try to expand. You know, Superman they didn't think was going to do real well, and it obviously got popular. And so we get the first. All right, well, let's try something else, and it did not go well. <laughs> it bombed. Now this is going to bother me. Supergirl. Did they do it? For, was she from Argo? Oh the, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. It is from Argo. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so then we go back to 1982 uh, and Wes Craven's Swamp Thing, which... Uh, a staple of the USA Network. Yes. Well, okay. So when I saw it, I did not see Swamp Thing in the theater, uh, but I did see it on HBO back in the days when the cable boxes had wood grain and big black switches on top of them. Uh, and I watched it a lot and it scared the shit out of me. 
that movie's something. It's I really like it. I don't, uh, you know, it's not a bad adaptation uh, of well, one of the versions of Swamp Thing. Yeah, uh, it's it's weird and it's a horror movie, and the villain is kind of more interesting than Swamp Thing, which is you know not necessarily a bad thing because a great villain you know makes things. Uh, more interesting, you had Lewis Jordan uh, uh, playing Anton Arcane. But, uh, no, I don't know. You know what? I don't have anything bad to say about it. I like I, it. I like I Swamp Thing. It stays, you know, close enough to the comic with Arcane and kind of the deal of it. And I it, didn't realize Swamp Thing back then, but... And it leaned into the horror... Uh, you know when the when the little person gets turned into the swamp creature, and then later on when Arcane turns into that fucking terrifying demon thing, yeah, uh, it's it's cool. I mean, you get a big battle at the end, and yeah, sure, it's it's limited by the technology of 1982, but shit, man. I mean, you can sit down and watch this movie, and there aren't really any holes in it. It's it's a solid watch. Mm-hmm. So for I'd me, recommend it. Yeah, for me, recommend it. Uh, and of course, Adrian Barbeau, that who was just the hottest thing in the world at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so Swamp Thing, I, I dig it. Now, moving on, and this worked out very well, because in 1989, seven years later, we got a very different Swamp Thing. That movie's a piece of garbage. <laughs> okay, so... I remember Return of Swamp Thing I probably watched on HBO or Cinemax or something along those lines. Uh, and even back then, so let's see, 89, I would have been 13. So I was definitely, if at 11 I was starting to recognize when movies might not be so good, by 13 I had definitely seen my fair share of not good movies. And I hated Return of Swamp Thing. I didn't like how campy it was. Uh, I didn't like... the and, and I don't know that I've seen it in the past 20 years. Oh, it's been for... Let's see, 2000? I don't... It's probably been 25 years since I've seen it. Return of Swamp Thing was like they wanted to make a trauma movie but like I don't know with a budget and it's just a bad knockoff of trauma if that's even like a thing you can possibly do yeah I honestly don't know what they were really going for with it it's it's uh I just remember it being really corny and terrible I didn't like Heather Locklear in it um yeah, I, I don't honestly. I don't have much more to say about it because I haven't seen it since then. Which, unfortunately for me, means I probably need to revisit it because that's what I do. Yeah, I mean, it's got the unmen in it. I mean, I'll give them props for you know putting the unmen in it. They're not done well and they look awful, but you know they're there. The the, just... the tagline on the poster is "America's favorite superhero is back in action." <laughs> What? Oh, Lord. Also, he looks like shit on this poster. I see. If you go to Wikipedia and pull the poster up, like he doesn't look nearly as good as he did in the first one. 
And see, I remember him looking bigger, like more like he did on the TV show. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, look at the box office on that one. The record-breaking total that Whoa. was $275,000. Wow. Oh. So, yeah, definitely a bomb. Uh, and I've got to say, okay, look, I, I want to say not recommended, but since I haven't seen it in 25 years, I don't know. I guess if you're curious, you should check it out. Yeah, I, you know, if you want to see something bad. Now, interestingly <laughs> enough, I never knew this. Did you see who helped write that movie? Neil oh. Cuthbert and Grant Morris? Yeah. Grant Morris was a comic book writer way back a long time ago. So they had somebody that was at least somewhat of a comic writer. They, they probably ignored everything he contributed and just had to put him on the credits for legal reasons. Yeah, probably. And not to be confused with Grant Morrison. Oh, no, not Grant Morrison. <laughs> Who would give us a very different Swamp Thing movie, I'm sure. Yeah. Probably no uh, less confusing, though. So, and it's also weird to think of this, that 1989 gave us Return of Swamp Thing and Batman, the Oscar-winning Batman. Uh, now, we've talked about Batman plenty over the years uh, on this show and, and at panels and various other places. I love it. Uh, I recognize its flaws, but I'll never not love it. It's probably my favorite dc movie i just it's fucking amazing i i I adore it yeah i mean there's not much about it i can say that hasn't been said right right a thousand times and you know it's not me just gushing over it but man it's still good i still watch it yes yes uh much like batman 1960 uh, 1966 i can watch it anytime yeah it's everything the soundtrack Nicholson, all of it. So good. It's so over the top. It's so fun. Uh, and sure, maybe Batman kills a bunch of people. Eh, whatever. It's fine. I, you know, he's Batman. And that that summer, it cannot be, and, and we've, again, many times on the show we've talked about this, but it cannot be overstated how huge of a phenomenon this movie was that summer. I mean, I'm pretty sure there were days that my outfit consisted of my Joker Converse, some, like, Batman jams that my grandmother had made me, and, like, a Batman t-shirt, just head to toe. Oh, I know 100% that I had. Now, I had the Batman Chuck Taylors, which, man, I wish I still had. Um, Batman t-shirt, Batman hat. 100%. The Multiple days, many days wore that yep. ensemble. It was huge. So, yeah, well, recommend it. Absolutely recommend it. It's great. Uh, and then 1992, three years later, we get the direct sequel, Batman Returns, uh, with a returning Michael Keaton. Tim Burton came back to direct. Most of the cast came back uh, with the also introduction, not introduction, but introduction to the series of Danny DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer and the incredible Christopher Walken as made-for-the-movie villain Max Shrek. Evil Max Shrek. So, this movie is an experience. So, I would say for me, Batman Returns is probably my favorite DC movie. Okay. I love it. It is just the right mix of, like, camp and silliness 
and then some really dark stuff going on yes. <laughs> underneath the surface. <laughs> dark, like gruesome weirdness. This poor model girl gets tossed off the roof of a building, murdered. Batman murders lots of people, like just in plain sight, sets sets people on fire with the Batmobile, blows a clown up. Like this is a dark Batman. Yeah, there's a little hench fun. carnival of whatever they're called, the Carnival the, of Evil, or whatever. Oh yeah, what? No, they're the something circus. What the heck are they? Yeah, I can't even remember. But yeah, I can't either right now. It's there's been a long day. scary stuff going on with those people. Yeah, and it's it's a creepy movie. Like I wouldn't show this to my son until he was a little bit older. Mm-hmm. because of how creepy Danny DeVito is. I mean, he freaking bites that dude's nose, and blood <laughs> just gushes. It's gory. Immediately after he sexually assaults a woman. <laughs> oh, yeah, just grabbing the boob. My oh, gosh. Oh, that movie is amazing. I love it so much. And at the same time, it's a Christmas film. <laughs> yes, it is a Christmas movie. And, and it is, like, it's so funny that 1989... Uh, the 1989 Batman feels like, oh, well, this is just wacky Tim Burton stuff. But then Batman Returns just doubles down on all the weirdness. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to seen a third movie. I, I wish. I wish we could have. Whatever it was, I wish we'd gotten it. Uh, I mean, it was supposed to be more Catwoman, and then Billy D was supposed to come back as Two-Face. Right. And then... That's where Robin was like that. Everybody knocks, you know, the casting or what was going to be the casting of um, what's his name? Uh, Chris O'Donnell. No, the one they cast before Chris O'Donnell, one of the oh. Wayne's brothers. Um, oh, Marlon Wayne's. Yeah, Marlon Wayne's. Um, that's where that all started. Was that was one of Burton's early ideas, supposedly? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, Batman Returns, huge recommendation. Love it. Um, if you're if you're a diehard Batman comic guy, maybe you don't like it. I know our pal Mike Gordon is not a fan of these movies, but uh, I, I love it. And that, no, it's amazing. That brings us to 1995's Batman Forever, which for me probably represents one of the biggest turnarounds on a movie I've ever had it's fascinating how different they are and like what the studio was really thinking I mean I know toys was probably a big part of that but they're so different and I just don't know how you get from one to the other well I first of all I I love Val Kilmer I'm a big fan of Val Kilmer um I think Top Secret is great. I think he's absolutely amazing in Tombstone. Uh, he has turned in some incredible performances. Top Gun. Uh-huh. He's he's great. I think he's the worst Batman we've ever seen on screen. Oh yeah, I. He's not good. He, he doesn't get any of. He doesn't get Bruce White right, and he doesn't get. Um. Batman right either. They they could have put that costume on a piece of plywood and it literally would have been the same movie. Yeah. Uh, but the hype for Batman and Robin I think might have been at least equal to 1989 if not bigger. 
I remember going into that movie, and it's because Jim Carrey was the biggest star in the world. Now, th- Batman Forever is Carrey, right? Yeah, Batman, Batman, Batman Forever is Riddler and Two-Face. Yeah. And that there was it was just insane the marketing the hype the soundtrack this one had the soundtrack with with seal and with uh-huh. uh um u2 and like uh the what method man has a track yeah. on there <laughs> like everything about this movie was so big blockbuster hollywood like for 1995, everything that you could possibly do right to make a movie seem cool was in it. And I went to see it, and my friends and I were quoting Jim Carrey for weeks and just sort of overlooked Val Kilmer's shitty performance, um, overlooked uh, Nicole Kidman. <laughs> Chase Meridian. God, so stupid. Uh, we really, I think, Jim Carrey saved the movie initially. And then over time, I just grew to absolutely loathe this movie. I hate uh, Tommy Lee Jones, another actor I like so much, who is just... A horrible Two Face, or as they call him in the movie, Harvey Two Face. Harvey Two Face. Yeah. Harvey Two Face on a rampage. Watch out! God, it's so bad. I mean, it. <laughs> it really just. I I I don't like it. I don't like yeah. it, and I've tried to watch it over the last few years. I've 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 given it more chances because, as I get older, I grow to appreciate things that are silly. But this one doesn't hit the right tone, the right balance of camp and whatever it needs to be good Batman. Yeah, and I think it's like an in-between, whereas Batman and Robin leans into the yes. camp hardcore. We'll, we'll, they, and, and I love Batman and Robin. I do too. I think they were like in-between the Burton movies and yes. Batman and Robin, so they're trying to play both. And it just didn't work. It's like Val Kilmer is in the Burton movies where he's more serious and everybody else is listening to Joel Schumacher. Like, and, and I, so it I just will, doesn't work. I will say this. I think Chris O'Donnell does a great job in these movies. Yeah, I think he's a good Robin. I do too. He's Yes, sure, he's a little old, but I don't care because I think he's great. Mm-hmm. He's way more fun than Kilmer. Yeah, and he's a good mix of kind of using Dick's story with some of Jason's personality. Yeah. Um, and I think that plays really well. And you see it much better in Batman and Robin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think he's good. Smash it up. God. <laughs> so, um, Jim Carrey's performance is very much a, like, hyper... Uh, um, Frank Gorshin on cocaine. All the co- well, more cocaine. It's this insane tribute to Frank Gorshin's Riddler, and I think it's great. I really enjoy watching that performance. It's not really a good Riddler, but like Gene Hackman, it's a great character. Mm-hmm. 
Um, whereas Tommy Lee Jones kind of doesn't make any sense, although I, I do appreciate Drew Barrymore and Debbie Mazar as his malls. Like, Sugar and Spice, that's great. Mm-hmm. I like that. Like, there's... You're right. If, if they had just left Burton's aesthetic behind entirely, and if, if Clooney could have been in Batman Forever... Oh, man. I, it'd probably be a different movie. Because you can see, like, there must have been leftover ideas. Because that Chase Meridian stuff, especially the scenes where she's, like, doing the psychoanalysis and stuff, that feels very much like a Burton movie thing. Yeah, and that that's... Well, and that's the thing. They revisit that the whole... Uh, when Val Kilmer has to relive the falling into the cave or whatever, it's it's just bad. That stuff could yeah. have been thrown out. It would have been a lot more fun to do something else. Um, but Batman, Batman and Robin, full on over the top Batman sixty six tribute. George Clooney's just about doing an impersonation of Adam West. Oh, it's so good. Uh, I, it's so much fun. Schwarzenegger is so. Ridiculous, and he's clearly having the time of his life. Uh, Uma Thurman is weird and sexy, and like it's now not my one. And we even get Doctor Woodrow, <laughs> yeah. the freaking amazing future Lionel Luthor <laughs> as Doctor Jason Woodrow. Um, uh, John I mean, Glover, John Glover, yeah, John Glover. Now Bane is not good. Bane is not good. Bane is and- bad. You know, I it's like Bane without any of the Bane-ness. They just kind of liked the character design, and they liked he could get pumped up with Venom. But to be fair to this movie, that is how Bane is most often portrayed. Like, nobody has done Bane right yet, except for no. the Arkham games. Yep. Have, have gotten closest to, to adapting Bane from the comics. Yeah, I mean, Batgirl's not the best. Um, yeah, she's fine. She's Alfred's niece. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> Alfred, not real tight with the security there at the Wayne Manor. <laughs> like, the McGregor syndrome thing—that was a weird kind of tie, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fine. Whatever. Now, Alicia Silverstone, she's eh, she's adorable in the part. Um, I, and and you know, I feel bad for all the shit she had to take over that. I think she was. She, she was cute. She had really good chemistry with O'Donnell and Clooney. Like, those three were really good together. Um, and to go back to Forever really, really quickly, I would love to see Jim Carrey come back and play Riddler again, but like a serious Riddler. Uh-huh. I think that would be very interesting. And not, you know, not as any legacy of this movie, a completely different Riddler, but him. I think that could be interesting. Yeah, kind of the darker, crazier yes. Jim Carrey. Like you see, what's that? Kidding. He, you yes. can kind of see some stuff yes. from that. Uh, yeah, I although I will that. say, we went and saw Sonic uh, last Friday, and it was really, really nice to see '90s Jim Carrey back again. And I hear that movie's actually pretty good. It's good. Who would have thought? It's legit good. And I thought I don't even like Sonic the Hedgehog. I thought I was gonna hate this movie. And it's good, it's fun, but it's not a DC movie, so we got to move on. So, uh, Batman Forever, for me, not recommended. Batman Forever, no, not recommended. Batman and Robin, highly recommended. Batman and Robin, leave your baggage at the door, highly yes. recommended. Yes, yes, that's a good way to put it, for sure. 
Um, okay, so 1997 also brought us Steel, which I saw. I do not remember at all. I, I definitely saw it. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. It, it's, you know, it's not a good movie. Um, <laughs> it's it's kind of fun. Um, I mean, Shaquille O'Neal's charming. Like, I can yeah. imagine that his charm carried it. I enjoy that his hammer is also a gun. Um, I mean, it has nothing to do with steel whatsoever. Is he John Henry Iron? Iron? He he is John Henry Irons. But not. But like... you know, there's no Superman anywhere or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So you know, it's fine. I when I remember, I like the junkyard. They had like a hideout in the junkyard. That makes no sense. Like this pile of trash opens and it's his headquarters. <laughs> and that always stuck out to me like, this makes no sense. Like, come on guys. That and the hammer gun. But you know, it's it's just a bad star vehicle movie. Right, right. So, okay, so yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it. Uh and then we're gonna skip over Catwoman, because as I said, not even really not even really a thing. Uh, and we next, and, and the thing is, apparently Steel, well, Batman and Robin and Steel both, uh, I think underperformed would be a kind way to say it. Uh, and we went seven years before we got Catwoman, which doesn't count. And then eight years later, we got 2005's Constantine, which the I by that time I had read every Hellblazer comic in existence. I was a diehard Garth Ennis fan. I was a diehard. Um, I let's see. Is that where I discovered Morrison? I think Steve Niles and Grant Morrison had both written Hellblazer by that point. I want to say that's where I got to be fans of theirs. But anyway huge fan of John Constantine the character as soon as they announced Keanu Reeves was playing John Constantine I was done it was a terrible choice and I don't think it's a terrible movie I think it's a pretty good movie but it's not first of all you just can't have an American John Constantine that's fucking ridiculous but I do appreciate the fact that 15 years later we live in a world where that would never even be considered oh no well and the Constantine we have now is so amazing oh it's fantastic Matt Ryan is is phenomenal I I like the Constantine movie um I think you give it a different name you know you don't it's not Constantine I, I kind of like the movie itself. Yeah, you call it Johnny Witch Boy or something, and yeah. it's fine. And it's fine, but yeah, it's it's weird because when you tell, like, if you ask somebody, all right, who's Constantine? Yeah, immediately, he's British, he's kind of an asshole, and he smokes, and he's blonde. Right. And he they, looks like Sting. He looks like Sting. He is Sting, and yeah, they just didn't do that. So. No. no, they did not go in that direction. But and another thing that this next batch of movies are going to have going against them, or some of them anyway, are the effects of the sort of mid-2000s. And Constantine, while I I would consider it a pretty good movie, and I do recommend checking it out, just, again, leave your baggage at the door, 
uh, there are some very 2005 CG effects in it. There absolutely are. <laughs> and I really still love the part where he flicks off Lucifer as he's going to heaven. Yeah, I mean, there's... That a, was a very Constantine. And, and look, Keanu Reeves, we know he's got style, yeah. he's got attitude. It's just not the right kind. Yeah. Uh, and then that same year, we got what sparked a, a comic book revolution, uh, Batman Begins, that rebooted Batman entirely. Uh, we got uh, an auteur's vision of what the Dark Knight would be, and it turns out it's a rich guy that knows karate. So... And I guess we could talk about kind of all these three movies at the yeah, same time. Yeah, let's, like let's we go ahead and knock Superman. them all out, yeah. I don't want this to come off as like, ooh, a hot take. Sure. I do not like the Nolan movies. I think when they came out, I liked them when they came out. I never got like a big like, oh, these are amazing or anything. But now like, you know, they play on TV damn constantly. Yeah, TV and I, or TNT yeah, plays them all the time. I'll kind of turn one on and I realize, yeah, I don't really like these movies. Like they're fine, but they, I don't know what it is about them. I think Bale is kind of flat. There's not a lot of character to that Batman. Christian Bale, more like Christian stale. (laughs) I, uh, I don't like what they did with Ra's al Ghul. I don't know. I don't. There's just. It's just not right. And like you said, he quits being Batman. That's the answer. Like, no, you don't quit being Batman. That's the point of Batman. Um, now, I think that grounding them in the real world limited them a whole lot to maybe what I like to see in comic book movies, um, which a lot of the audience responded to, and I totally get that. Sure, but they're just not for me. Um, I think Heath Ledger is a good Joker. I don't obsess over it or think it's as great as a lot of people do. Um, I think it's a good performance. Just as a comic fan, I don't like the bleed over that it's had to everything else. You know, this Asian chaos, whatever crap. Um, But yeah, I mean, they're there and the the Dark Knight Rises sucks. (laughs) Yeah, Dark Knight Rises is irredeemably bad yeah and the who knows how cool, much of that the only yeah. cool part of that to me and, and I say this uh, there, there might be a few other bits and pieces that are pretty cool well honestly I liked Bane in that one until we learned that once again he's just a hired thug yeah and not the mastermind but the one part that I genuinely without reservation love about Dark Knight Rises is Scarecrow the scene where he's the judge and they're sending people out on the ice. Yeah, that is really good. That's very comic booky, very like I I really love that. I you know, I like the Scarecrow too and Batman Begins. Yes. Like he's kind of one I think they got right. Um I, I don't like really what they did with Talia. You know, they telegraphed that from a mile away. Like, I don't understand people that were surprised by it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't like the suit. I don't like... There's a lot about it I don't like. 
Well, to go back to Batman Begins, when I first saw it, um, I really dug it. It was... I didn't find it to be perfect, but I liked it for what it was. Uh, and it wasn't clear yet that the the world was going to be as grounded as it would become. Um, because I, I even wrote after the dark night, if you go to oldneedlessthings.com, you can find a treatment that I wrote or a couple of different treatments I wrote for a possible third entry in the series where I still felt like it was possible to do characters like man, bat or Clayface or poison Ivy. And that was when the dark Knight rises I got really disenchanted with it because that's when I decided if you can't have characters like that, then you're not making good Batman movies. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but Batman Begins, I, I dug it. I liked the way they did his... I really liked the depiction of him learning how to be Batman. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I'm with you. I did not like Ra's al Ghul being a, a white dude that's weird um i think ken watanabe should have actually been rajal ghoul i don't i don't know why they did that sw- well again that's not something that would happen now oh no um but there's a lot of cool stuff in that movie and then the dark knight i still love the dark knight and again we hadn't yet seen just how grounded Nolan intended this Batman to be because if you look at the entirety of Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, Bruce Wayne is Batman for a total of like 16 months. Uh That's it. So the intention is to make it very much real, very much this guy has the limitations of the human body, um, which... You know, that's a way to tell the story. That's fine. That's what he did. It's not really the Batman I want. Certainly a Batman that quits being Batman because of crime. (laughs) Batman doesn't quit being Batman because crime happens to Batman. That's the most stupid, ridiculous thing I've ever seen in a movie. My girlfriend was killed by crime, so I guess it's time to stop being Batman. (laughs) Yep. That's fucking... That's a terrible take. But The Dark Knight... Uh, yeah, I would have liked, you know, old Two-Face just dies. Again, that's Nolan's, this is a short period of time and real world take on it. Uh, you know, the way that they told the Two-Face story was cool, but then he becomes Two-Face and dies. Well, nobody likes that. Nobody, that's something that comic book movies have gotten wrong for decades. Stop fucking killing the bad guys. Yeah. Well, my thing with Two Faces, I think they do Harvey Dent really well. Yes, and I like that part of the story of it. But then you get to Two Face, and for me at least, there's not a Two Face part to it. No, he's just, just evil Harvey. Bad guy. Yeah, yeah, because he even when he flips the coin when it's heads, he still kills him. Yeah, like you don't have that struggle between Harvey and Two Face. And, you know, for time, it was the end of the movie. But they could have extended that, I think, into another movie, or I yeah, don't know. Yeah, it, it was Two-Face. Oh. That climax shouldn't have been part of that movie. Yeah. Now, what I do really like about Dark Knight, I do like the message at the end. Like, I think that story beat is very good. The, yes. 
the big like the blowing up the boats like you know with the prisoners on one and the regular people on the other and batman proving that you know people are good and that's what how he defeats the joker basically i think that's a really good story um but overall i just i don't love the movie like i think it's fine but i don't love it like everybody else does so nolan's bat trilogy uh, I can still watch Batman Begins, and I recommend it. Dark Knight, I like I said, I genuinely still love that movie and recommend it for sure. Um, Dark Knight Rises, I think it's terrible, not recommended. Yeah. Although, I surprised myself by really liking Anne Hathaway's Catwoman. Yeah, I actually do like her as Catwoman. I thought they did good with that, and kind of that... She's not really a bad guy. She's just kind of out for number one most of the time, and yeah, but her heart is still there. She she was easily the best part of that movie, which surprised me because at the time I was not a big fan of Anne Hathaway's. Uh, but that that she her performance in that was great, and then the way they characterized uh, Selena was great. Yeah, but then again, at the end, he just quits and goes to yeah. France. Like, good luck to you, Robin. Got a new piece of tail guess it's time to quit again yeah i would like to see like a next film with robin in it i can't what was his name in the movie i can't um, blake john blake isn't that it yeah but his what was his middle name his middle name was grayson maybe or something and, and his name was robin oh it was actually robin wasn't it yeah. that was so stupid i would love a next movie though that kind of picks up right at the end where he's in the bat cave and he's just like, yeah, great. I'm not like a trained ninja or anything. Right. Like, I'm what a, do you want me to I'm do with all this? Beat cop. Yeah, nothing in my police academy training taught me to throw a razor blade shaped as a bat. And, and as we see over the course of The Dark Knight Rises, uh, Gotham police are dumb as fuck. They really so are. So this guy doesn't have a chance. Yeah. At what point does everybody go under, underground and check this oh out? Oh my gosh, like, so bad. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move on, or I guess move back a bit to Superman Returns. Uh, I didn't. I I loved Brandon Routh. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, I liked Kevin Spacey, but now he's basically persona non grata to me because I don't. Uh, not not a big fan of the pedophiles. Yeah. Um, and I gotta say, you know, one because it's a bad movie. But but two because of Spacey's presence, this one is is to be disregarded. At, at the time, I didn't love it. Like I said, I think Routh is really good. I don't hate the story of it. Um, outside of Super Dead Beat Dad, I thought that was a little odd. Um, but again, like DC has these weird premise. Like, what made them think that a sequel to Superman Two was gonna? go well well it wasn't even them it was just at that point brian singer had a lot of power in hollywood yeah speaking of people whose movies i won't watch yeah. anymore <laughs> there's another there's yeah. all sorts of stuff going on in superman returns that yeah. yeah discards it and i will say brian singer allegedly a pedophile rapist allegedly um so yeah superman returns is a big big fat avoid uh, yeah. For for many reasons, uh, and then in two thousand nine, we got Zack Snyder's Watchmen adaptation, which uh, I like a lot. 
And I would go so far as to say the the end of the movie is better than the end of the comics. No. No. That's <laughs> so wrong. <laughs> um, I will say in the context... In the context of, of, of a movie, movie it was a better choice. Yes. yes, yes. Because to explain Space Squid and all that yeah, yeah, yeah. mess involves a lot more politics and... If you want to see how it plays out, if you watch the Watchmen show, you know they use the space squid. As soon as HBO Max launches, I will do my best to make time to watch Watchmen. There's just so much on. Yeah, I mean, in the context of the movie, having Manhattan do it, you know, is good. I think the opening of Watchmen is one of the best openings of a film. That montage in the beginning yeah, to Bob yeah, Dylan, yeah. it's awesome. Um, and I get what they were going for. You know, they were riffing on comic book movies themselves, um, whereas the comic, you know, deconstructed comic books at the time. So there was a purpose to it. Um, it's. I, I think the cast is amazing. I mean, Patrick Wilson, I find him just so compelling in everything mm-hmm. that he's in, from from Aquaman to. Um, not Insidious, uh, the Conjuring movies. To, he's just—I love watching that guy. Yeah, I—I—I uh, I, I like this movie. Yeah, Billy Kudrup, I think, is a really good Doctor Manhattan. Like, so distant and weird. Yeah, and even watching the Watchmen show, the voice of Manhattan on the show threw me off because I still now Kudrup's what I hear. Right, right. Because he did such a good job with that. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to say Well, no, I don't know. I think it is the best possible cinematic adaptation of the comic. To to crunch it down into two hours, I think Zack Snyder and that cast did an incredible job and made something like really cool and eminently watchable about a really weird niche piece of pop culture. Yeah, I think for making a movie with yeah the constraints it comes with, it's a good adaptation. Um, but like I said, the cast is what sells it. I mean, all of them. Rorschach, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is the comedian. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, definitely recommended. Now, the following year, we got something a little different. Uh, with Jonah Hex, which I have not seen. Oh, it's it's not good. That's what I hear. It's it's terrible. And like, <laughs> Is it that bad, really? I like Jonah Hex as a comic book character. Me too. Me too. It, it is probably one of the worst movies ever made. Wow. Oh man, now I want to watch it. Because it's not even like schlocky. Like even with Batman Forever. Like, as bad as it is, at least there's some, like, funny, cheesy stuff. Like, Hex is just terrible from start to finish. Well, that was another one where a piece, uh, a critical piece of casting sort of gave me my idea of what we're dealing with. And that's w- anything with Megan Fox. Yeah. I'm immediately suspicious of. Oh, God. That's a, it's a hard pass. Solid. That's what I, that's what I've heard. Uh, and then the next year, though, DC would come back strong with Green Lantern. Ooh. Which, okay, 
so this do you was, do you remember the hype for this yes, film? That's what I was getting ready to say. This was another one of those things that Warner Brothers made into a phenomenon. <laughs> oh, it's bad. The marketing, the merchandise, everything. It was huge. And, you know, going into the movie, I think we were a little wary of some of the designs. But then you see Oa, and then you see the crazy aliens, and then you see uh, the blue guy, the guardian, the guardians? Yeah. The blue guys. Um, and you're like, wow, they really went for it. And then 90% of the movie is on fucking Earth. It's like Masters of the Universe all over again. <laughs> where you get this glimpse of this fantastical world, and then they're like, well, better go to Earth or nobody will understand it. It's just bad. And some of the casting is not... I think Ryan Reynolds, well, he would have been a better Kyle, I think. Yeah. Or not even Kyle. You know what? I He would have been an okay guy. Because he can uh, be that kind of dickhead. I think he's too likable to be guy. No, guy. You, have you seen Waiting? Oh, yeah, I have. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds in that. Waiting is a douchebag. Yeah, okay. Uh, um, well, honestly, here's here's my take, and this may not be popular with all of our listeners. I wouldn't ever make anything Green Lantern about Hal Jordan. My number one choice would be John Stewart. My number yep. two would be Guy Gardner. My number three would be, and, and this would be way too too far out there. Um, so, oh shit, so Matt, so the guy that ends up being a son ends up being a son. I can't remember his name. I'm looking at his figure right now. So Matt, you, so ah shit. He's yeah, he was one of my favorites back during the Jeff Johns. Green Lantern Corps run. Mm. Uh, but he ends up becoming like the center of a sun to keep a planet alive. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Al Jordan is like my last choice. I'd make a, a big movie before I'd make a Hal Jordan movie. Uh, well, and Hal Jordan always ends up kind of like Barry Allen ends up being where, yeah, you're calling him Barry Allen, but right. that's Wally. Right, that's <laughs> Wally. Yeah. Uh, uh, but... I will say this, the the stuff that they got right in Green Lantern, like I said, Oa was awesome. All the aliens were awesome. Kilowog looked aw- like that stuff was all so oh. cool. So damn yet. Oh yeah, so damn yet. So damn yet. That's that's the other guy's name. Um, um and but the like, why didn't they just go with the original the Sinestro idea of? Well, and Sinestro is perfect in that movie. Oh like, yeah, Mark Strong is Mark- great. I mean, and I get that I think they were planning movies ahead, so they wanted you to meet Sinestro before, you know, the tease at the second. Yeah, Yeah, where he turns into the Yellow Lantern. But, God, the CGI is awful. The CGI is terrible, and Hector Hammond as your villain is just garbage. And then Parallax... What? Parallax already? You, You are too afraid to make this movie take place off of Earth, but you're going straight to Parallax? And that's, weird space. I don't even know what that was. That's like parallax. going. That's like going from a kiss on the cheek to butt sex. Yeah, that's too uh, much of a leap. And God, do you remember how awful that parallax build a figure oh was? Oh my gosh, what a! <laughs> and it looked better than what was in the movie, though. It did. Oh my oh, gosh! So yeah, yeah so Green Green Lantern. 
absolute trash. Everybody knows it. Not even worth watching out of curiosity. I mean, Ryan Reynolds went as far to put in one of his movies him murdering himself to get away from that film. Yes, and he's right. He's right. Uh, So the next year we got The Dark Knight Rises, which... You know, made a shit ton of money, broke box office records, did whatever. But we're we're not we're we're heading into movies that are making money, but are not particularly well received. Yeah. Um, and in 2013, we get Man of Steel, which is intended as the first film. Because by this time, we have The Avengers, which came out in 2012, I think. Uh-huh. So DC's like, oh, we got to get in on some of that sweet team-up action. Uh, and they have uh, our boy Zack Snyder put him in charge of everything. And uh, he gives us Man of Steel, which I still find has some redeeming qualities Kevin Costner is not one of them no but again Henry Cavill I feel like gives a very interesting performance as Kal-El and I'll go ahead and say I have zero issues with the final act of the movie I see it he he is an inexperienced superhero fighting battle hardened soldiers he can't just say, hey guys, maybe we should take this to a different area of the world. Like, he's fighting for his life. I, I don't have a problem with the big fight. I don't have a problem with them fighting in Metropolis because to me, he didn't have a choice. I don't know if you've ever been in a fight, but it's kind of hard to say, hey, maybe let's move this out of the parking lot. Um, yeah, I, I, think... I, I don't find fault with those things. And I don't find fault with him killing Zod because, to me, the movie established that he had no alternative. And people like to say, like, oh, he could have thrown him into the Phantom Zone. What the fuck are you talking about? Where has this Kal-El gotten any knowledge of the Phantom Zone or of how to restrain super-powered beings with combat skills far superior to his own? Like... I I just don't buy those arguments. And yes, if you don't like Superman killing, then that's one thing, and you just hate the movie, and that's fine. But within the context of this movie, that all works. The movie earns everything it does to me, except for Kevin Costner telling him, like, well, you should really be a nihilist. Right, and that's my problem with yes. all of it. That's because terrible. that carries over to all of it. You never get, and I don't think even the movies past this, uh, they kind of show, well, they tell you that the world loves Superman and all this stuff, but you never get that inspirational Superman that I want. Well, you do in Justice League, but it doesn't make any sense. Right. Because they, they just say it. It's yeah, never like, earned at all. If I'm watching as a bystander... Man of Seal Superman flying around in Justice League, I'm thinking, you know what, Lex Luthor's right. Like, we've got to deal with this dude, because he is blowing stuff up and destroying things. I get it. Um, I hate Henry Cavall, Cavale, how you say it. You know, we've seen 
and stuff he's done since then, you know, Mission Impossible, The Witcher, all of it, he is a super charismatic, funny guy. Man from Uncle. If you haven't seen oh, Man God, from Uncle, so see that movie. It's so good. And his Superman just doesn't show that for some reason. Yeah, he doesn't really get a chance. Like, you see, you see that there's heart there, and you see... But but they just don't let him express it for some reason. It's like they told him, "All right, play this really subdued," mm-hmm. and it, it. I don't get it because he's clearly a a bright, energetic, charismatic individual. Mm-hmm. And maybe Mansfield, they had him, you know, in between saving people as a boat worker or whatever that was, and fighting Zod. If we had seen him, you know, save some cats or something, or do something else we would have saw it a little more but i just man of steel is not a great movie now i do like amy adams as lois lane i okay we're i don't hate her well this is where i have to lay out my feelings about amy adams as lois lane in the dc extended universe i she was fine as lois lane like I enjoyed her. I thought she was fun. She's she's spunky. She's no Margot Kidder. But she was kind of bringing her own thing to it. But then I saw did you watch Sharp Objects? I have not. Wow. It is one of the best pieces of television I've ever seen in my life. And it made me realize that she's one of the best actresses of our generation and it made me mad that she was wasting her time with the barely anything Lois Lane role that they've given her Uh. in the DC movies like anybody else could have done that she's so freaking amazing and and I because Sharp Objects was HBO so if you've got the HBO app you can watch it uh, and for the listeners, it, well, you can go buy it too. It's it's they've got it out on Blu-ray now. It's incredible, and she is like just acting the shit out of everything. So now I can't even enjoy her as Lois Lane because I'm like, what are you doing? Get out of there! <laughs> <sighs> I mean, she's there. That bathtub scene is one of the worst things ever oh it's so bad i don't know what they were going for with that um so yeah 2000 so let me ask you this about man of steel in 2013 uh when you when you see that date and you think about that movie do you think oh my gosh that was seven years ago or that was only seven years ago that movie seems a lot older to me right that's how yeah. I feel. Now that you say that, that was like seven. That's crazy. And, that was only seven years ago. And look, think about this one. So Green Lantern came out in 2011. Three years later, Guardians of the Galaxy came out. Three years between those two. Wow. How ballsy was Marvel to look at Green Lantern, which thematically should have been similar Uh and say that movie flopped the shit out of the world but we're going to make this space raccoon movie 
what confidence in James Gunn, who, by the way, is one of the best directors of all time. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I cannot wait for his Suicide Squad. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that was just put a little context on that. Guardians of the Galaxy came out in 2014, three years after Green Lantern, one year after Man of Steel. And to me, Guardians of the Galaxy seems much fresher and more recent, even though in the context of the MCU, it's super old. Yeah, it really is. Right? It's so weird how these things mess with with your time frame. Like, if I had had to date these off the top of my head, I would have gotten them all so wrong. Oh, yeah, I would have made a steal, like... Ten years ago. At least. Yeah. I would say, like, 2008 or something. <laughs> right? Uh, so, moving along. Uh, very interestingly, it took three years for the follow-up to Man of Steel to come out. Uh, and that was Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, which I tend to just refer to as Dawn of Justice. Uh, I understand the things that people do not like about this movie. I hate that stupid movie. I do not. Uh, I hate Doomsday. I think Doomsday looks like a big piece of shit. He looks like he looks like he came out of the same ass that produced Parallax. Um just a terrible interpretation of Doomsday and just the CGI is rotten. Uh-huh. But if I separate the movie from my expectations, which I, I know snarky people will be like, well, you should have to do that for a comic book adaptation. But if I separate my personal expectations for a Batman and Superman movie and just look at sort of the notes that this one hit and the action of the movie, it gave us the best Batman fight scene to date. Okay, that fight scene is pretty awesome. That warehouse scene is incredible. It yeah. gave us a great relationship between Bruce and Alfred. Um, it gave us Lex Luthor, which, okay. Yes, Jesse Eisenberg, not the best choice for a big-time movie villain. However, I prefer to think that he is Alexander Luthor because that's how he's identified in the movie and that the real Lex Luthor is in prison or some shit. And that this is his shitty little son doing things. That's how I justify this. But we get a Luthor manipulating these heroes to fight each other. Because he hates Superman. And to me, his hatred of the alien plays so real. Like, again, no, Eisenberg is not a good Lex Luthor. But he's a great character. He's a yeah. great shitty little like modern social media billionaire douchey guy like they should have just made him somebody else mm -hmm. and i think or, that would have improved things even if you have if you make him alexander or make him shitty little tech genius and then have lex around have daddy who raised him to hate everything different you solve the problem yes um, and I as much as I don't want politics in my superhero movies, I mean, come on. The rich billionaire who <coughs> right, hates right. things from another place, pretty topical that you could throw in there. Well, and, and look, I, uh, politics have been an intrinsic part of comic books 
you know, since the 60s at least, um, and, and certainly a part of genre film, but it takes a deft hand to do it well and not hit you over the head with it. Yeah. And I think it would have been very easy in 2016 to have more of a Trump analog as sort of the elder Luthor statesman. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and that would have been interesting. But look, I like the beats of this movie. I like the plot of this movie. Some of the scenes are so fucking bad. The fight between Superman and Batman is awesome. The fight in the warehouse is awesome. When Wonder Woman shows up, it's awesome. And even though Doomsday looks like shit, and it doesn't make any sense at all that Superman has to be the one to put the kryptonite spear through him, like, the spectacle of that and the interplay between Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman is awesome. Like, I love the spectacle and the intent of this movie it's just some of the execution was so wrong that i totally understand people who just can't even deal with it yeah i think and this is probably my comic book you know sure fan coming through because you're you're much more enmeshed in the dc universe than i have ever been i just to have the fight between batman and superman you haven't earned it yet. No, like, yeah, I agree. I agree. But in the movie context, I see that it makes sense. Like yes. movie wise, if you've got, you know, he thinks, you know, you've got this dude running around burning people with batarangs and all this stuff. Like, okay, it makes sense that they would start fighting. Well, and that's the thing is, as much as visually it's the fight from Dark Knight Returns, thematically and contextually, it is not. Right, and I think that's the confusing part of it. But again, I think that goes back to you haven't established Superman as the opposite of that. I think if you've established Superman as the Boy Scout doing everything that's right, you know, helping old ladies versus crazy man who's running around, you know, stabbing people with batarangs, that makes that make more sense. Well, and that's one of the things I said after seeing Dawn of Justice is we really needed another Superman movie between those two movies to give us a Superman that had earned his stance of not liking Batman's activities. Yep. And I think it's fair to say that overall the Martha stuff is just stupid. No, you know what? I don't even agree with that. Because in the comics... Look, here's my take on that. First of all, it's a fact that both of their moms are named Martha. It is true. I think we talked about that when it came out. Yeah. And I had never thought of that before. I was like, That's a fact, my man. (laughs) And here's the thing. I take that moment as, because Batman hates the alien the same way that Lex does. He doesn't Mm -hmm. trust him. He doesn't trust somebody with that much power. He sees him as the other, which is a very strong narrative uh, device that's been used forever. Uh And when he says Martha, that name that is familiar to him, it humanizes this alien to him. And that's what brings out the mercy, and that's what keeps him from destroying him. Like, to me... That's so. That's such a weird thing for people to make fun of. Because out of all the weird stuff in that movie that you could pick on, 
that moment I don't see as one of them. I just didn't like it. I, I, yeah, and you know, I, I get it if people just don't like it, but I don't feel like you can say it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. It, just overall, that movie, I'm not a fan. I, and look, I get it. I get but it. I think it's, you're it's right. If there dark. was another movie in between this, I think it might have been a different story. And And also, if there had been that Superman follow-up or that Man of Steel follow-up that had given us Superman after murdering Zod and realizing that, that he he didn't ever want to do that again and becoming brighter, becoming that beacon of hope. We also would have had Henry Cavill having had the opportunity to explore that character more and perhaps just on screen being more comfortable being that beacon of hope than he was in Dawn of Justice. Right. Uh, so Dawn of Justice for me, uh, again... And and a lot of these DC movies, unfortunately, we have to say this, but put your baggage aside, take it for what it is, and and I recommend it. Yeah, I still can't recommend it. <laughs> I understand. I understand. So that same year, we got uh, a very different movie, but that was just as linked to this universe in Suicide Squad, uh, directed by David Ayer and starring the... Uh, Honestly, the pinnacle of humanity, Margot Robbie, <laughs> uh, one of the most beautiful humans ever created, and uh, a cast, Will Smith, uh, as Deadshot, which I, I didn't love that casting at first. Nothing to do with his ethnicity, completely to do with his character, because um, I just didn't see Will Smith being Deadshot. It just didn't work for me. He's just not as much of a scumbag as no, Deadshot is. No, it didn't. But, well, we'll get to it. Uh, and we also had uh, Jai or Jay Courtney, who I really loved in Gladiator, uh, not Gladiator, Spartacus. Hated in everything else I'd seen him in, who I thought was great as Boomerang, uh-huh. uh, Captain Boomerang. I thought he did a great job. And, and apparently other people did too, because he's coming back for James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. He's one of the few characters that's returning. Uh, and, and a huge, a big ensemble cast of crazy characters. Jared Leto is Joker. Uh, I like this movie, and I watched it again the other day before I went and saw Birds of Prey, and I still like this movie. So, when I saw this movie, I walked out hating it. That's terrible, you know, just awful. But man, do I sure rewatch this movie a whole lot. <laughs> like, it's on TV, and I'm like, oh, Suicide Squad. It's so much fun. It has so much style. And, and yes, I find it eminently rewatchable because the pacing is so fast. It gives us, it takes a bunch of characters that, that we're not as attached to. We don't have as many preconceived notions about. Uh, um, uh, Viola Davis is, Viola, uh, that's right, Viola Davis is Amanda mm-hmm. Waller. Oh, she's perfect. She's great. The CCH Pounder is the only one that would have been a better choice. Um, but she's she's great. She's devious. She is, as Will Smith says in the movie, gangsta. Mm-hmm. Um, and sure, yeah, the, the plot relies on one of the people in the movie ending up being the bad guy. But how many fucking movies turn out that way anyway? Yeah. Like, how often 
to the hero's action. I mean, if you watch the Flash TV show, you cannot have a problem with Enchantress being the villain of Suicide Squad. Because Barry Allen is responsible for 80% of the <laughs> villains in Flash. <laughs> that's true. I mean, that's such a common trope. It's it's really, I think, lame to get hung up on that. Uh, but it's just, it's just stylish, fun, fast-paced movie. I like Jared Leto's take on Joker. I would never call it a definitive Joker, but it's weird and interesting and different, and that scene in the nightclub where he's fucking with that guy is real sinister. He He's... I I want to see more of that Joker, and we never will. Yeah, but I, the trick—I mean, the Joker put DC in a weird place because Ledger had made such an iconic version of it. So at that point, you really can't go back to a classic Joker. You've got to swing somewhere else. I mean, I don't love some of the design of it. Um. But it's interesting. Well, and here's the thing is, after seeing Suicide... Well, not even after, uh, after seeing the initial images of Harley and Joker from Suicide Squad and not liking, like, all the tattoos and shit, because the common thought is, well, they look like a couple of juggalos. But my concept was, you know what? These people are crazy. It's modern times. And why wouldn't Joker and Harley sit around just tattooing each other? Yeah. They're fucking lunatics. They're weirdos. They probably have like, you know, they're they're probably masochistic, sadistic, enjoy the pain. Like to me that made sense. And then you see birds of prey and sure enough they're sitting around tattooing. Like yep. it lent a bit of credence to my own personal headcanon for why they looked like that in Suicide Squad. And again, don't go into Suicide Squad wanting an adaptation of one of the old comic stories. Go in with the expectation that they're going to take some of these characters, they're going to sort of reimagine them for a modern cinematic story, and and I think it's really fun and kinetic, and, and I dig it, man. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I think with the Joker, yeah, the Joker always presents a weird thing on film, I think, because... Even Jack Nicholson was a gangster before. Yes. And Heath Ledger, they did kind of a lone wolf kind of guy who tricked other people into helping him or forcing him. Like, yeah, if you're going to make a guy that has to lead a criminal empire in modern day, they're not going to follow just some dude that's a clown. So I can see the kind of making him a gangster. Um, Well, and they set it up as he had established himself as the most vile, terrifying person in Gotham, and that's why he was the top of the heap. Yeah, and he's really not in that movie a lot. Um, and I, if they had expanded it more, if you saw him more, I would be interested to see what that character looks like longer. Yeah, outside of the context of trying to rescue Harley. Which, yeah. another issue people have is that it seems that, that Harley's only motivation is to be with him. But I, I feel that they showed a very mutual affection in that movie. To me, I didn't feel like either one of them was necessarily... like I, They felt like they were in whatever sick, twisted version of it it was. They felt like they were in love to me. Yeah, well, and that's the Harley and Joker relationship. Yes. Like... 
people don't, you know, there it's not there's healthy, something to say but it's about, you know, Harley basing her own whole personality on the Joker. But that's Harley. Like right. that is the character. Um I don't like how much they sexualized Harley. Um just as far as you know, the taking the shirt off and the costume they had her wear, but that's an issue I have with Harley in but general. But see, to me, I felt like she owned it. I felt like she was very aware of she. You know, she wasn't playing the nymph; she was playing the Matahari. Mm-hmm. She owned her sexuality. She used it as a weapon. Um, to me, she put those shorts on because it's going to distract whoever she's going to kick their ass. Like. I, I did. I felt like it was weaponized sexuality and not male gaze stuff. Which, granted, look, sure, it was, but within the context of the movie, I felt like it was just something else in her arsenal. I, she, did, she had agency in that movie. She did not feel like a weak character to me, and I feel like people who who get too hung up on what she looked like and too hung up on the relationship. Are, are robbing her of her agency. And I don't feel like that's fair because she was very much, I felt, her own person. And and Birds of Prey, again, expand... Honestly, the opening of Birds of Prey felt a little regressive to me. Because yeah, she was so hung up too. on him. Um, and we talked to Will Smith. Is, he's not a good dead shot. But he's a good character. He's a good character. And... They got the dead shot right as far as only caring about money and kind of, you know, but his heart is there, which you later saw in Center, or Secret Six. Um, but he's kind of the weakest of the characters. I really liked how they did Killer Croc. Croc I was great. Uh, Diablo was great. Um, yeah, CGI in the movie is not wonderful. No, it's not, and I, I think it was... It was a really, really weird decision because I, I li- I'm a fan of Kara Delevingne. Um, I think she has a weirdness to her that people sort of misinterpret as being bland. I don't think that's what it is. I think she has a sort of ethereal otherworldliness. I think it was a really weird decision at the end of the movie when she went to her sort of final form to remove all of the makeup from her face. Uh-huh. So it's just, it's just June Moon, like. That was very strange to me, but if you look at like her movement, she is constantly moving and like weird, and I, I don't know. I, I found that very interesting and compelling. Like I thought it was cool, uh, but the design, some of the designs, like the the CG with the fight between uh, Enchantress's brother and and Diablo's final form, like the concept was badass, but it just looks kind of <laughs> shitty. Yeah, it really does. Um. But again, it's just fun. I I just I I like the movie, man. I think it's fun. Yeah, it's it's a surprising has turned into a recommendation. And and I'll throw this out there: uh, the Joker in animated series was far more abusive of Harley. Oh yeah, far more. That relationship was was much more disturbing uh, than what we see because Joker is pursuing Harley throughout this entire film. If anything, he seems beholden to her. Uh huh. Uh, okay, so yeah, 2016 Suicide Squad uh, recommended from both of us. It, it's just fun. Yeah. Uh, 2017, we get Wonder Woman, and, and you guys hang in there. We're we're gonna wrap this up, but this has been such a fun conversation, and I want to just knock these movies out. So I, I hope listeners, I hope you're digging this as much as we are. 
Uh, Wonder Woman comes along in 2017, sets a new standard for DC films. Critical reception is great. Um, you know, some of that is politically motivated, but some of it is that uh, a very different approach was taken with this movie. We have a female director for the first time who I think connects with the material. Uh, Patty Jenkins. Uh, Patty Jenkins uh, connects with the material in a way that is very personal. It's not necessarily that she gets the character more, although she seems to, but it just feels like a more organic movie than anything else we've seen so far. It it almost seems like it's not trying as hard. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. I mean, Wonder Woman for me is one of my top superhero movies. I just, all of it is done really well. The characters are great. The way they handled Steve Trevor. Um, well, making, Chris, Chris Pine is, is awesome. Yeah, he really is. And kind of making him where... I don't know the best way to explain it, but he's not threatened by her. And there's no, never a, where he's trying to one up her or anything. And I right, think right. that is handled so well. Now, again, you know, like a lot of movies, the CGI fight at the end is not great. Um, but overall, just an amazing movie. I, um, I really like it. I think it's overrated. I think people tend to give it a little too much shine because we were all so relieved that it was good as opposed to having to justify it, which I'll admit several of these I have had to justify liking them, Uh, whereas Wonder Woman I think you can unabashedly be a fan of and not really have to justify too much, although the third act is a little questionable and boy leaving leaving what's his name's mustached face under Ares armor <laughs> was a bad call it was uh but it's a really good movie with lots of great characters the supporting characters get get all have their opportunities to be interesting and do interesting things but the center of it all is Gal Gadot who first shot of her as Wonder Woman I was like this skinny broad cannot be Wonder Woman but she's so powerful she's so bright and radiant and smart and and just owns the screen every time she's on it uh-huh. uh, just is absolutely perfect as Wonder Woman in a way that I don't think anybody expected from that first image we saw of her uh, so yeah, it's it's absolutely Wonder Woman's recommended. Uh, it it holds up pretty well. I, I think dodgy CGI is a theme that goes through a lot of these movies, which is somewhat baffling because the budgets are pretty big on all of them. But uh, yeah, I, I ju- it's enjoyable, and I, I've watched it several times. I've I've watched Wonder Woman more than I have Man of Steel or Dawn of Justice. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but not more than Suicide Squad, which is the one I've watched the most. Uh, and then in 2017, uh, we got Justice League, which I think of as a wonderful disaster of a movie. God, it's terrible. I don't... Th- well, okay. <laughs> I don't honestly know how to qualify it at this point, because it's not... 
It's not good. But I, I love some of the stuff in it is so good or so enjoyable that I can't just dismiss it. I can't just say that's a piece of shit I never want to watch. Like, I love this, like with Ezra Miller and Ben Affleck, the scene, uh-huh. their scene together is so good. All the interactions, man, Momoa and, and Affleck interacting. And, and, well, and Affleck, honestly, he's the center of the movie, and his chemistry with everyone is off the charts. He just connects with every single person in that movie so well. Um, because he and Gal Gadot, like, you can see, you know, in, in uh, Justice League Unlimited and some other aspects of DC, Wonder Woman and Batman have had kind of a romantic thing from time to time. And you can see that chemistry between Affleck and Gadot. Um, and, and Momoa as Aquaman is so much fun, and you get this glimpse of, of what the future holds for that character. Uh, I the, the Amazons, you know... Uh, Steppenwolf showing up and and like there's so much cool shit in this movie and yeah it doesn't really hold up as a cohesive storyline and yeah it feels like this botched rushed attempt to get all these characters together and just like um, just like the the, uh, Wolfman movie that came out a few years before it that was half of it was directed by one dude and Half of it was directed by Joe Johnston, and you can fucking tell which half was which. Uh, with this, you can tell it's Joss Whedon making the best of a Zack Snyder situation. Uh, it's it's a hot mess, but it's a hot mess that I enjoy. I don't even enjoy it. I mean, I see the pieces, and I think buried in there somewhere is a entertaining movie. It just didn't come out <laughs> i i can watch this movie and it does it, it the when it when the credits roll i think well that's enough let's move on i don't need to ever see this vision of these characters again i saw some fun stuff i saw the i, I heard the batman theme i heard the superman theme um <laughs> You know, I, I I got to see a weird version of Flash that wears a suit of armor for some reason, <laughs> but is pretty charming. But again, isn't Barry is clearly Wally. Yep. Um, I mean, this one's painful how much it's not Barry. I, I know. I, I mean, know. at least on the TV show, they made him a police detective. Like, yeah, and he yeah. is kind of a dud from time to time. Yeah. But this one is, yeah, it's... You know, there's there's a lot of fun to be had, but it also takes a long time to get through it. So, I I don't know. I I personally, there's a lot I enjoy about it, but I don't think I can recommend it. No, I don't recommend it. Which which is very different from my opinion. If you go back to Needless Things 188 and listen to our review of it, even Arian liked it at the time. I think I was on that one, and I crapped on it pretty heavily. <laughs> <laughs> Um. All right, so let's move on to 2018 and Aquaman, which I 
I Aquaman is a mediocre movie with a really good lead. <laughs> I, I'm in a weird place with Aquaman because I want to love it more than I love it. I like the spectacle of it. It's so big and it's so ballsy for them to have set so much of it underwater and to have done the, so many of the things that so many of the fucking Aquaman things that they did. Yeah. But it it has this weird artificiality to it. Mm-hmm. That well, and uh, another big problem I had with it was what's uh Amber Heard isn't that who Mara was? Yeah. She was terrible. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. terrible. She, they they could have cast Val Kilmer as Mara, <laughs> and it wouldn't have made a difference. Yeah, I think she got pretty girl casted, unfortunately. I mean, that... <laughs> Which that, is a shame. But, but Patrick Wilson was fantastic. Jason Momoa was fantastic. Um, Black Mana is done Black really Mana well. Black great. All the weird fish kingdoms and, like, all the undersea shit. It's all... It's so cool. But I think it's almost overwhelming. Yeah, there's so much world building in that movie. Like an insane amount. And it's all beautiful. And like, I love it, but it's just for some reason now, because I've I've, uh, probably watched it three or four times, and like it doesn't hold the magic for me. Like the first time I saw it, it blew me away. But once you get past the spectacle of it, there's not actually a whole lot of meat there. Uh-huh. Uh, but we do see Chase Meridian back. We as, do. As Aquaman's mom, <laughs> which was a surprising turn of events. And I really liked that little storyline. Yeah, movie. that was really cool. And she looked badass. Like, they never made yeah. a figure of that. They should have. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and Crazy Willem Dafoe, who's playing like the mentor guy, which was a little <laughs> unexpected. Like, I kept waiting for him to actually be the villain. Yeah, I did too. Um, nope. Look, I recommend Aquaman because you, it go, you know, get rent it in 4K on your 4K TV and enjoy the gorgeous visuals. Uh, appreciate the the sheer filmmaking filmmaking special effects accomplishments of the movie, and appreciate we live in a time where Aquaman gets a big box office release, right? And it's not god awful, and yeah, and does gangbusters and rides wow. and rides fucking sharks around. <laughs> yeah, see stuff like that. Like, there's so many good pieces to it, but yeah, just the overall product doesn't it's, blow you away. It's, it's a lot. I, I don't know. I, I I still haven't settled on why I don't love it as much as I want to love it. But, uh, you know, we're getting another one. We're getting a trench spinoff horror movie, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that movie's ever actually going to I don't happen. think it's going to happen either. Um, so, yeah, I recommend it. If you haven't seen it, you need to see yeah. the spectacle. Uh, moving on to 2019, and one that, uh, for me, is going to end up being pretty divisive, I think. And that is Shazam. Oh, I love Shazam. I thought it was crap. 
I love it. I think it's great. Now, um, I totally see why people don't like parts of it. Well, I think most people, I, I think overall it got a great reception. I've talked to very few people who, who dislike it as much as I do. It's weird because I think, like, at, at least from a comic reader, they leaned heavy on when he becomes Shazam, he really plays up, yep, still a 13-year-old kid, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> um, well, see, the, here was my that was one of my biggest problems with it, though, is I saw no connection whatsoever between the actual teenager and uh what's his face is that Zachary yeah Levi Levy. yeah well and and that's a good point cuz he goes from being kind of a moody he's this kid. mopey bitch but then when he's Shazam he's Mr. Fun Times <laughs> yeah that, and, and i just that's... saw no connection between those two characters which to me blows the whole movie cuz that's the point well, and again, bad CGI ending. Bad That's, CGI ending. Although the I did, sins don't look great. I the sins look horrible, but I loved the whole family getting the powers. Um, oh yeah, can we talk about how terrible Shazam looked? The wizard. Oh yeah, that was yikes. Woof, that was rough. <laughs> and then I also thought tonally there were some problems because. You know, this was touted as as a lighter, more family oriented film, and then you've got Savannah, Savannah, whatever his name is, just blowing people up like yeah. gory murders. Yeah. And that child abandonment thing—that's dark. Yeah, <laughs> like, that yeah. scene where his mom he finds her and she's just like, "Nope." Don't want you get out of here, and her like abusive boyfriend is yelling in the background. Yeah, I I thought there were some serious tonal issues with it. Um, I, for me, and this is just me. Look, I know a lot of people love this movie. I don't. I don't like it. I don't recommend it. I I think it it shit the bed in my opinion. Yeah, I really like it. I recommend it. Like I said, I don't like. I think the sins are not done as well as they could be, but. And I'll be honest, you probably could have had two hours of just nonsense on the screen, and then you show me Mr. Mind at the end. Automatic recommend. <laughs> Automatic recommend. Talking category. Uh, yeah, Mr. Come Mind on. was great. I'll give him that. I think they spent too much time um, with the whole YouTube thing, like him filming him. Like, there was just too much time of that. They, they needed to get to it a little bit more. I, yeah. I would have liked to see more actual superheroics and less like Shazam as Johnny Knoxville. Yeah. Now, one one thing I am curious to see in the future when we add Black Adam if it ever happens with The Rock, that's going to be a weird dynamic. Right. Black Adam is supposed to be like super serious militant basically, which plays well off of Shazam. But it's The Rock. <laughs> like The Rock is not going to be able to contain his charisma and his right 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 awesomeness and that's going to be a weird dynamic i think well i don't know if you look back at the scorpion king god <laughs> i don't know i don't i'm very curious to see what's going on there not I, recommend no do not recommended um 
All right, so moving on to the other DC movie of 2019, something very different, uh, and that was Joker from Todd Phillips, starring Joaquin Phoenix, who I would watch read a phone book. Uh, I was very excited by this movie as soon as I heard the idea and the tone of it. I, I just was really curious about it, and I love Joaquin Phoenix, so anything he's in, I'm I'm there for. And even though I was excited about the movie, I was still surprised by how much I ended up loving it. Now, I, I, I really like it. I don't know that you and I have really even talked about it. Yeah, I don't think we have. I really liked the movie. I think they should have thrown the Waynes out of it. I don't like the Waynes being in it. Um, well, for Tom, a Thomas Wayne is is a well speaking of your trump analog yeah like but well here's the thing i don't like that characterization of thomas wayne because he's supposed to be this this philanthropist humanitarian however this is a dark fucked up world and a dark fucked up movie it is a different take on this DC Universe, this corner of it, and I really liked the plot point of like the revelation that his mother's insane and lying to him is mind blowing. Yeah, I really like that. It's such a good twist, and it it was very. It was probably the most comic booky thing of the whole movie that Thomas Wayne was involved in that. Uh-huh. So I, I, like, when you take the movie as a whole, I wouldn't change that. Because it's almost necessary, because the rest of the movie could be anything. Like, it didn't even need to be Gotham. It didn't even need to be the Joker. But then you throw that in, and it, that's 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 where its roots are. That's where its connectivity is, and I, I thought about it, and I wouldn't change that. And yeah. As much as I, as much as I, the whole movie is meant to make you uncomfortable. It's not fun. It's not Suicide Squad. It's not Aquaman. Uh, it's something different. It's something that that is intended to make you uncomfortable and to to thrust uh, unpleasant things in your face. And, you know, Arthur Fleck's mental illness and his mother's, you know, that what that ends up being. And, and it's all about this darkness. And so, of course, Thomas Wayne, not being the great guy that we've always thought he is, plays into that. And that scene where he goes and talks to Bruce. Now, granted, it's very convenient that little Bruce Wayne is playing unattended right by the wall of Wayne Manor, which is apparently right by a public thoroughfare. Well, and the wall is only like three feet tall. Right. Come Wayne Manor. But that scene is so good with with the kid and then with, I guess that's, is that specifically Alfred or is I assumed it was. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. But anyway, whoever whoever the butler at the time is, whether it's Alfred or not, like, it's so good. Like, it's it's necessary for what that movie is. Yeah. Now, I will say, 
as a small child, if that is your dad who's kind of a jerk and angry and deals with everything that way, that's how you get Batman. <laughs> Not <laughs> well-adjusted right. parents. Like, right, right. <laughs> yeah, my dad went hardcore and then people killed him. What I have learned is this is how you deal with people. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, so, yeah, Joker, 100% recommended. Probably yeah. the best film the best film of any that we've discussed. Um, and I'm not saying that as like, it's the best adaptation of a DC comic because it's not. Yeah. But as far as just being a, a movie that's incredibly well-made and good from beginning to end, I think it's probably the best one we've talked about. Yeah. I'm really interested to see what DC does now. Like, does DC look at this and say, well, let's take another character and try something not necessarily exactly the same, but with this kind of vision. I think so. I think they probably move ahead with more creator-driven, because that's their advantage. At this point, that's the advantage they have over the Marvel Cinematic Universe, whereas the MCU is very carefully orchestrated, and while each movie has the flavor of the director, none of them are getting too far behind. Right. Whereas DC, Warner Brothers, can take their valuable IPs and put them in the hands of an auteur and say, do what you will with this, but just make it good. Uh-huh. So I think that's an interesting advantage to have, and I, I hope they learned the right lesson from Joker, which is not R-rated, fucked-up movies do well, but that when you trust a creator with your IP, you can get something really special. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, so, yeah, reg- Joker, recommended. Got to see it. One, two Oscars, nominated for nine. Come on. Uh, the Oscars don't mean shit to me, but at the same time, you can't deny that that kind of recognition is important and significant. Uh, so moving on to the final movie of our conversation. Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, or as it is apparently being retitled, Harley Quinn colon Birds of Prey? <laughs> is that what it's called now? It apparently is. Uh, it it uh, is underperformed, too strong a word. It is, it's underperformed at the box office so far, um, which I kind of get because... Going into it, I was expecting sort of what we got from Suicide Squad, but maybe a little bit lighter and certainly a lot more girl powery. Uh-huh. And I think most people looked at it and thought, oh, it's that Juggalo Harley Quinn and a bunch of characters that don't look anything like they're supposed to. Which I understand. I can't blame people for looking at it and thinking that. But I, having become now a huge fan of Margot Robbie after seeing I, Tonya and seeing some of the other stuff she's done. Which, by the way, listeners, if you haven't seen I, Tonya, it's so good. Holy fucking shit. <laughs> it's incredible. It really is. Um, and she really goes for it in that movie. Like, if you look at her and think, oh, she's a little starlet you know, fancy pants or whatever. She she goes to some dark, unappealing, fucked up places in that movie. <laughs> um, 
so I was just I went into it with an open mind thinking you know what I want to have fun this looks like it's going to be fun it looks crazy let's do it and it ended up being a really good movie yeah I really liked it um I think part of the box office thing is you know DC has been it's starting to be more vocal that they're not following the Marvel method of this huge interconnected story and everybody keeps waiting for comic book burnout. I think comic yeah. burnout would have happened in the MCU before had this giant story not been going on that makes you feel like you have to see all the pieces. Yeah, they, they have get successfully the made everything compelling. Right. And I think it's going to be interesting to see Marvel in the next couple of months, not with Black Widow, because you know Black Widow ties obviously in with civil war and a character we have established but when like the eternal starts coming out and so the infinity saga is over are people going to continue with this story so that's a long way to say you know people feel compelled to go to these marvel movies again and again now that dc is moving away from that i think we're seeing people be like "Eh, i don't really have to see this and so if it's not characters i'm super involved with and I thought Suicide Squad wasn't good, if that's what they're saying. I can see why people didn't go. Yeah. Uh, well, and also, <laughs> but, the fact that it's rated R. Um, yeah. When, in theory, I would think the target audience would would probably be a lot of teenage girls. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I know my son wanted to see it, but it's R-rated, and he doesn't see R-rated movies until I've vetted them. Um, so I think they cut out some of their audience by making it rated R, which initially I didn't agree with, but here, here's my justification for the R rating. They say, fuck a lot. That could all be dropped. They could cut all the fucks out and it wouldn't affect the plot at all. Um, they wouldn't, they don't need to show Zaz cutting faces off. It wouldn't affect the plot at all. As a matter of fact, it would have been more horrific if they had done that, like, not explicitly shown it. Mm-hmm. But the one scene that I 100% would not have cut, would not have wanted cut, was the warehouse fight where they're shooting and all the cocaine goes up in the air. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Harley, like, takes a big, deep breath and kind of goes out and goes bonkers a little bit. That's so fucking funny. And so antithetical to anything you see in a standard issue comic book movie. Like, you're not going to see uh, Scarlet Witch do a bunch of blow and then fight a bunch of bad guys. Yeah. It's not going to happen. That scene was so funny. It gave the movie and Harley so much of a unique identity that they would go there and do something that taboo and that ridiculous uh, that I would not cut that scene for anything. And I feel like that's probably an R scene. I don't think you could get away with that in a PG-13 movie. Uh, probably not. So if you've got to leave that in, you might as well leave the rest in. But I do think the R rating had something to do with the box office. <laughs> yeah, it probably did. 
I hate that it did bad because it really was Margot Robbie. Well, like, this is one of her like passion projects. It hasn't done badly. It's just yeah. underperformed, and I think it has legs. I think certainly when it comes out, uh, you know, digitally or in a Blu-ray or whatever, it's going to do very well. I think in the long run, this is going to be recognized as a very significant movie. And the other thing I love about it is, as much as I expected it to be a girl power movie. It's not in the way I thought it was going to be. It's just a good movie. It's just a good movie about good characters who happen to be females. Um, and as our friend Chad J. Shonk will tell you, a successful female character is just a successful character who happens to be female. And that's what I feel like they did with this movie. It's not about the fact that they're women. It's about the fact that they're good characters. Uh-huh. I mean, I think there's definitely some pro-female oh, there plot is. in there, there that's is, really good. There like, is all the stuff with sure, Renee. But it's not, it's not the hit-you-over-the-head um, doing it with the intention of looking like girl power. Do you know what I mean? It's not the Avengers scene where... Oh my gosh, yeah, it's not that. Yeah. That, exactly, exactly. That's that's what I'm saying. It's not she's got backup. Yeah, <laughs> that scene's not good. Oh, it's so bad. But I mean, the characters are all really good. I mean, does that black mask have much to do with comic book black mask? Nobody's eh, incredible. Not really, but who cares? <laughs> all I want for Christmas are some Roman Sianus pajamas. <laughs> I mean, Ewan McGregor is amazing in this movie. I had, I mean, I love that guy. I've loved everything that he's done, but this, his performance in this brought it to a whole new level of, holy shit, he's incredible. Yeah, it's so weird, and it's just amazing. He, and Zaz is great, too. Zaz is Zaz great, too, and Zaz is, ne- well, he was pretty good on Gotham. He's amazing in Gotham. But there's that one scene in... Birds of Prey, and I can't remember where it was, but Black Mass says something, and Zash just makes weird throat noise and then walks away, and I was like, this is great. I don't well, know what's happening, but... The way that Zaz is jealous of Roman's attention. <laughs> like, there's this weird relationship there that's that's really fun to see play out. Um, and just everything about it was so expertly done. And I'll say this right now, Christina Hodson, who wrote the script, also wrote Bumblebee. Oh, okay. I can and see that. Everybody keep an eye on her because she very clearly knows what she's doing. Bumblebee's really good. Bumblebee's great. And again, great characters, uh, strong narrative that no it's it's a she's she's a pleaser she knows like she she knows how to tell a good story but she also knows knows how to throw in those moments that make you happy and make you go yeah that was great Mm -hmm. And, and it was one of those ones where even when the characters were written different like that version of huntress that was weird i'm not real sure what was going on with that but it was really entertaining like I liked how Mary was it Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Winstead yeah, yeah, how she played her. That was yeah. really funny. She she well she was this badass who had a 
fucked up life, so she didn't know how to relate to people. Like she was, she was completely in control as far as like beating the shit of people went, but so socially awkward mm-hmm. because her whole family was murdered when she was a child and she was raised by assassins. Yeah, I like, liked her. It was a fun. It was almost like a funny spin on Damien. Yeah. Where she's a complete badass, but just doesn't know how to deal with people, but just in a different way from him. Mm-hmm. And the, I, and the, way, only... the way they played out her name. Oh, that was really funny. <laughs> the crossbow killer and yeah. whatever else they called her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, my only gripe with the movie, and it's totally a comic booky gripe, is that it would, they named her Cassandra Kane and... Yeah, she had yeah. nothing to do with Cassandra. Um, yeah, there was no reason to use that name for her whatsoever. And that's it's and it's such a weird as much as they get everything else, um I won't go so far as to say they get it right, they get it satisfying. Uh-huh. That was such a bizarre I won't call it a misstep because I'm not really mad about it, because it's not like I expected straight up ninja Cassandra Kane. But it was just a weird, like, why did you do that even? The only thing I can think of is they were trying to get a Batgirl-related character in the Birds of Prey somehow. But they and were so... so and, and you know what? You're you're 100% right. But it's so bizarre because they were so confident in the other contrary decisions that they made that it's weird to me that that one they felt like they needed to like, well, we better get the name there. Uh-huh. Uh, it, was, it was bizarre. But I, I loved um, the the way they, you know, Black Canary, obviously very different from, from most comic book versions of Black Canary, but the character was great. Uh-huh. She, was, she was very all-star Batman and Robin Black Canary. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And you know how much I love me some All-Star Batman. <laughs> I know you do. Um, and I like that they said that, yeah, her mom had been around and was a superhero. So that's not even – they left open that yes. if yes. we want to, other Black Canary was around. Uh, I thought the actress that played her was great. I don't know if she's ever been anything before, but – Yeah, she and the, the power – she had the power. She just straight up had the Canary cry. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and they – the way that they – built to it to when she finally did it and it was awesome uh yeah i mean i i just feel like the movie got everything right in ways i did not expect Uh yeah i really enjoyed it i hope it picks up a little bit and people give it more of a chance i i think it will i think word of mouth is going to be positive i think once people uh hear from the because online uh the most of the talk is very good um, so I think people will get out there and see it, and I think it'll, uh, like I said, I think in the long term this will be looked back on as sort of the second entry in the revitalization of DC's movie. Because look, let's be honest, Aquaman, you know, did really well, but is weirdly forgettable. Shazam, again, did really well. Most people seem to really like it. But it was forgotten about a couple months after it came out. But then you had Joker that people are still talking about. 
And I think Birds of Prey is going to have that same staying power where people keep talking about it. Uh Or at least keep talking about it until Wonder Woman comes out in a few months. Uh, But that is a podcast for another day. In the future. In the future. We will talk about the past of 1984. (laughs) Uh, So looking at this list... Let me uh, let me scroll down to the bottom of my notes here uh, to wrap this thing up. Uh, well, and I, we both recommend Birds of Prey, right? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Go see it in the theater if you can. Uh, go see it twice if you can. And if you go to an NCG theater, they have Birds of Prey cups and popcorn buckets. Are they the ones that have the Harley Hammer? Have you seen that one? I've seen it. I don't know who had... I think that was AMC. I think that was like an opening day gift pack or something that... Oh, was it? We we went on opening day and we didn't get it, so I don't know <laughs> what happened there. Um, But to uh, to wrap it up, what do you think is the most faithful adaptation out of what we talked about? Huh. I know it's it's tough because... So many of these, like I said, we we had to sort of qualify by saying leave your expectations uh, yeah. at the door. I'm going to say, and I, I, I kind of said it when we were talking about it, I think Watchmen yeah. is the most faithful out of all of them. I think probably as far as faithful goes, probably Superman 2. Okay. Solid. I, I can't argue that at all. Uh, now, what is your favorite DC movie? Oh, Batman Returns. <laughs> That's the. I love that movie. <laughs> mine, mine's nineteen eighty nine Batman. I, I just it, it always will be. I I can't say anything bad about it. So, what is the best DC movie? Uh, I guess cinematically, at this point, I mean probably Joker. Yeah, I think we're on the same page on that. It's just, it's just as much as I hate to diminish comic book based movies, they are sort of a genre unto themselves. Even though they encompass so many different genres, um, you know, they are kind of their own thing. And Joker, I don't want to say transcended that, but it is kind of the right word. Uh-huh. It it feels. It's a different level of filmmaking, which is a weird thing to say about a Todd Phillips movie. Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of like how people took... uh, Batman Begins kind of showed you can make a really serious, realistic superhero movie. Joker showed you could make a superhero film. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. Uh, So, who is a character that deserves adaptation that has not gotten it yet. I go back and forth. I really want to see Booster Gold. Um, Yeah. And I don't know if Booster Gold works better on TV or if it works really good as a movie. Even if you put, you know, Booster and Blue Beetle together, that would be a lot. But I think Booster Gold could be a really good film. Um, and I'm still waiting for a good Green Lantern. We'll see what HBO does uh, with the Green Lantern Corps coming out as a show. Uh, but yeah, I would say Booster 
is probably the top of the list. Maybe Zatanna. I think she could be a really good movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, good call. Um, but yeah, those two. Uh, mine is I Want a Question movie directed by David Fincher. Oh, yeah, and that, I, he's a really good one, too. I will accept nothing less. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. I, I think we've pretty much answered this one already. Have they ever gotten Batman right? I'll go ahead and say no. There are there are Batmans that I like, but I don't think they've ever gotten him right. Yeah, I don't think they've gotten it all right yet. He's, you know, Batman's one of those ones, he changes so much in the comics, but there's just a core Batman character that I don't think they've gotten right. It's that asshole, you know questionable methods thing but at the same time is all about justice it's hard to explain you know what i mean but when you read it you know it i think it's easy to put to the page but it's hard to portray in action Mm -hmm. with it with an actual human yeah all right well that does it for our extensive look at the world of dc films obviously we could have done a full episode about any of these series or any single one of these movies uh and we have uh but that that was an enjoyable deep dive ryan thank you for coming on and talking about dc and uh i think it would be great if you grabbed one of the mcfarland dc figures and wrote a review for the site I'm not buying those things. They're not in scale. <laughs> You're so right. I bought I bought uh, several of them, and while I like them now, okay. So I got the animated Batman and the comic Batman, and I bo- I think they're both very cool, and they went on my Batman shelf. But I also got Green Lantern and Superman, and they are currently in bags in a bin because I have nothing to do with them. I, yeah, what a mistake. Yeah, but. I don't know why you make seven-inch figures in this day and age. You know, it's it's very symbolic, though, of DC's movie-making process. That's yeah, true. Where they just randomly do something that makes no sense and just hope for the best. Yeah, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Well, Ryan, thanks for coming on and talking about DC, and uh, you, we'll be back next week talking about toy fair oh it's toy fair time holy shit man they've already um they've been showing those new masters of the universe figures the origins figures oh those are nice Ooh, they got me itchy <laughs> all right man well i'll talk to you next week all right so at the end of every episode i have this couple of minutes of background music under me talking that is the theme song uh, of the show. It's Procrastivate by Les Exoflex. You should go check them out at lesexoflex.com, but only if you're 18 and up. And uh, for years now, since the beginning of the show, 305 episodes, or I guess technically 300 episodes, uh, I had this, and then I've got the separate little outro piece that uh, our good friend Dana Swanson recorded for me that... We had to change when I changed the name of the site, but it's it's still there essentially in the same form. And I've had this music and then that that close out every single show the exact same way every time, uh, except for the couple of times where I put a little something on at the end. And finally, when I, I think it was when I did the 300th episode, I decided, you know what, why don't I just put those together and... So I just dropped that track in instead of having to put in two separate pieces... 
and I did it, and then I realized that I had to reduce the volume on what you're listening to right now, but then the volume needs to be normal on Dana's piece at the end, and it just, I was like, whatever, I've done it this way forever, it's going to be two separate pieces, because every once in a while I do want to do something a little extra, it's just, I'm going to leave it how it is, because that's the way I've always done it. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation about DC Films. I hope you want to go watch a couple of those movies we mentioned, if not most of them. And uh, if there's anything we skipped over, please let us know in the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group. You will have to join and answer three questions before you can post, but that's not that big a deal, right? Please share this, rate it, review it, do whatever you can do, all the places it's available. Let us know you enjoy it. Let your friends know you enjoy it. And next week, it's time for Toy Fair. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things Podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vicks employee. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.